0: Of Shortbox Summary. I'm your host, George, and we've got a special guest on today. We have longtime indie comic creator Richard Fairgray. Richard, welcome
1: to Short Box Summary. It is, it is very exciting to be here. I, I'm going to hear my voice on a thing that I listen to. Oh, thank you for listening to the show. You can do that by
0: by just downloading it on literally any podcast service of choice. You can even send it to friends so they
1: can listen to it. Yes, uh, just to quote the show If you know how to listen to this Then you know how to tell other people how to listen to this Holy shit, you really listen <laughs>
0: <laughs> Richard uh, is a is a person I discovered In late night indie comic Twitter spaces Richard has done, I'd say Probably about 80 years worth of comics In the last 25 uh, Dude barely sleeps, I don't know how he does it Just had a Kickstarter launch Yesterday, right?
1: Uh, Two days ago
0: Two days ago you want to tell us a little bit about what you're what you're working on?
1: Sure. Um, it's a it's a memoir that I a memoir a comic that I made at the beginning of lockdown um, that covers 18 months of my disaster piece of a life uh, about kind of major turning points and sex clubs and divorce and trying not to turn into an octopus. Very cool. You can support that on
0: Kickstarter. Uh, you could also just go to kickrichard.com, I believe is the URL. That's right very cool uh i backed it i'm really excited for it i wanted to there's like one tier where it's it's like a hundred bucks and you can get like a octopus tentacle holding an item of your choice i just couldn't think of anything interesting i was like what if i got him to hold like a 1995 power of the force darth vader action figure is that something like still like in the blister packaging is that something richard would be interested in
1: drawing Oh, 100%. I mean, like, like the first page of, I think, chapter three is an octopus tentacle, like, booping the nose of a naked master splinter action figure from 1993. Oh, perfect. So it's so, really not that different. Okay. <laughs> look, so I'm not going to say who, but one person is having me draw an octopus tentacle holding a very detailed cover, a copy, uh, including the full cover details of Intrusive Thoughts issue one.
0: Oh, wow. I wonder who did that. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <sighs>
0: Richard... I can't remember if you requested a talk about Batman Hush or if I requested that you talk about Batman Hush. I think we were talking about it in a space one night after several glasses of wine, and then yeah. I, I just got excited about talking to it. Because, like, you and I we talk in a lot of indie comic spaces, but we don't really talk about big two comics that often.
1: No, we don't. And I think, like, you know, I worked in a comic store from 2000, beginning of 2002 to, like, 2006. Um and that, that really, era, I was like super involved in like just knowing what's going on in like mainstream comics, uh, which is like the, why this show is like big nostalgia for me. And I really enjoy being like, oh, oh, actually I missed all those tie-ins. This is, this is fun to know about. So yeah, I think um, Hush was like a big cultural event, but it was also a big cultural event for everyone much older than me who knew who the people coming into it, like at the artist, the artistic team were. Mm-hmm. And for me, it was just like, Oh, I guess Batman's around still. Cool. <laughs> yeah, Hush is
0: a big deal. This is a big deal for the show because I think this is the first time we've ever gone in depth to talk about a DC comic, and no reason in particular. I I really like DC books, and these days, in fact, I think I read more DC than I do Marvel. But uh, I just I'd noticed there was like a big through line with Marvel, and I want to talk about that. But honestly, this story is so important, not for Batman necessarily, but I think for. Comics, not even like being taken seriously, but sort of elevating themselves to present more seriously. If yeah. that if that makes sense.
1: Well, it was it was sort of like I mean, not to get too granular, but it's the point where we start seeing Batman has ears under his cowl. Like that was such a big turning point. It's also the it's also the Hush is the first time that Batman has the utility belt with hushes. Hmm, and it looks so,
0: like, like an like an actual like safari utility belt that like it actually has utility as opposed to like Mary Poppins purse
1: yeah although actually I'm saying that I'm 100% wrong I think it's it's no man's land because I think it's Cassandra Kane who has the um the pouches first
0: that was just that was like the story before that was that was 98 99 no man's land this is this is right after same thing
1: yeah yeah but still I didn't want to I, like look <laughs> we're talking about comics on the internet <laughs> if I get something wrong <laughs> it's trouble
0: oh yeah you're someone's gonna ask for your head to be held by an octopus tentacle on on their variant cover of
1: yeah
0: <laughs> of your memoir um this book came out uh, let's see the first issue uh batman hush is a 12-part storyline it kicked off on october 23rd 2002 <laughs> it was the number one selling comic of the month it sold over hundred and twenty thousand 000 issues Jesus. that's a lot of issues uh number two was Ultimates number nine that was from Marvel that was their little like what if the Marvel universe started in the year 2000 as opposed to the 60s that was by Mark Millar and Brian Hitch that was like another sort of maturing I guess of mainstream Mm -hmm. comics where they were trying to be taken more seriously that book was infinitely more cinematic than a lot of Avengers books that came before it and the reason Batman Hush is such a big deal is because that was happening in like the main DC continuity. It wasn't like a pet project. It wasn't an imprint doing this mature sort of new way of storytelling in, in a sequential art, but it was like actually the main flagship book of DC. Yeah,
1: and it wasn't renumbering. It was like 608 to 619. Yeah. God, I miss, like those, miss those days. Yeah. Yeah, me too. And like, like here's the thing. It was... It was so many big Batman stories, one after the other. And, like, I think a lot of the ones before it didn't get, like, any kind of fair push. But then now people talk about them because, like, obviously the Gotham TV series went deep into No Man's Land. Um, And, like, Contagion and Evolution were just constantly reprinted for forever. And then right after it, you have Broken City that everyone forgets, but is actually very good. It just was like, do we need another Killer Croc story that soon?
0: Well, that was the was the Hundred Bullets team, right? That was Brian Azzarello yeah. and Eduardo riso Yeah, fuck yeah, those really nice covers. Yeah, gorgeous covers, gorgeous covers. Uh, let's see, number three, Transformers War Within. Number one, that was a back when Dreamwave held the license before they went tits up in a big way. <laughs> number four was New X Men one thirty three. That was during like the Grant Morrison sort of. I think that's like sixteen issues in, seventeen issues into that run with him and Frank Wyattly and igor karpov and all these other artists um number five was uh, amazing spider-man 46 during the john Romita jr j michael straczynski run that we actually just talked about last week that was before that got renumbered to its legacy numbering um i think at like issue 50 that lined up with issue 500 don't hold me to that but somewhere around there and yeah those are the top five comics the month that batman hush came out batman hush cr- absolutely crushed One hundred twenty thousand units sold Number two was
1: uh, Ultimates nine with one hundred and ten thousand. God, those numbers! That's that's insane. Um, and so that would have been also uh, around the time that the first Ultimates hardcover was coming out, because that was back when Marvel were doing their like three months later you get the hardcover, six months later you get the soft cover, right? Correct. Yeah. 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 God, because I, I would have I would have read the Ultimates hardcover. Uh, the girl I was dating at the time was like obsessed with buying. Uh, hardcover books and like ultimates was it was uh, there was like a weird thing where there were the the ultimates cover which is just a very standard like superhero team-up cover with all their faces quite large mm-hmm. and then there were like several other books that came out almost immediately afterwards which were just like brian hitch did a really good job can we all do the same thing
0: yeah, for sure. And one thing I love about the Ultimate books in particular, I just love like the trade design on the cover of those books. How mm-hmm. It's like letterbox, but like letterbox, like vertically, right? So you got like those two bars on the side, just a lot of care into like logo placement and numbering where everything was uniform, everything was symmetrical. And 100% like, yeah, the it's first gorgeous.
1: The first one wasn't that though. The first one was black at the top and the bottom. The ultimates was in a different font for no reason. It was that low angle shot of Cap standing there with the big like orangey light coming from behind him.
0: You got me there, but we're talking about Ultimates number nine here, Rich. So I am that also I am also yes. correct.
1: <laughs> now is 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 nine, is that the point where is it does the Hulk eat Freddie Prince Jr.?
0: That was like issue five, I think. He doesn't eat him. He definitely tries to and wants to eat him because Freddie yeah. Prince Jr. was on a date with uh with Betty Brand at that time. Or not Betty Brandt, Betty, whatever Thunderbolt Ross's daughter, Betty.
1: It's
0: not Paige, Betty right? Ross. Betty Ross, yeah. Thank you. <laughs> yeah,
1: Thunderbolt Ross's daughter. It's like God,
0: Page. Now, no, Betty Page is a very different woman. I apologize. <laughs> uh, so those those are the comics, Richard. What were you up to? Like you said, you were working at a comic shop at the time, and you said you were dating a girl. So this was October two
1: thousand three. Uh, I oh, was. It, I thought it was two thousand two.
0: Sorry, October two thousand two. October two thousand two. Right.
1: Okay, so I'm in my last year of high school. I'm about one week away from that finishing because I'm still living in New Zealand where we have opposite time. Um, hot snow falls up. And uh, I was I was like, make, I'd, I'd started like, I'd taken a bit of time off from making comics. I was back to publishing. Um, I was working on a, a graphic novel about what if the Antichrist was 12 years old because I was 17 and awesome. And uh, a lot of snakes were in that book um and
0: uh well yeah, mark was, mark millar ripped that book off like 10 years later with american <laughs> jesus
1: <laughs> well he ripped it off a few years later with chosen first i guess but <laughs> um not a good book that i made not a good book he made so it's even um <laughs> i was I, like what happened was there was this comic store i'd never read a comic like i was i was 16 when i fr- when i first read a comic book um because like New Zealand had four comic stores nationwide. And so one day I just said to my friend, what if we wanna look for a comic store? Cause maybe like neither of us have the internet, maybe we can go find one if we catch a bus to the city. And we literally wandered around into like little alleyways and then eventually found a comic store that were, uh, they were moving that like that weekend to a new location and everything in the store was discounted. So we bought like 50 Ninja Turtle comics for like twelve dollars. Hell yeah. Um, and then we're walking around carrying this big heavy bag, and then we see these people lining up for something, and uh we're like, what are you guys lining up for? They're like, Oh, a comic convention. We're like, All right then. <laughs> so I walked to the front of the line and um there was this guy there, and he was like unloading mac and cheese from a truck, like like craft dinner. Uh, boxes and this was a big deal because craft dinner had never been available in new zealand so i was like hey uh, if i help you unload those kind of a box and he was like if you help me bring these inside you can have a box and come into the convention for free i was like absolutely that sounds great so we unloaded this truck with him and then wandered around the convention floor being like holy shit, how like how did we not know any of this existed and we ended up um finding this like comic store it was that was on this like in this weird convention center that was on five floors and on the top floor, there was this comic store and they were selling all of their trades for 75% off. Damn. And I just said, well, what's good? And they were like, uh, you should get Watchmen and Dark Knight Returns and From Hell and uh, book four of Sandman for some reason. And uh, <laughs> uh, this book called I Feel Sick with Johnny a Maniac sequel. Mm-hmm. And so my friend bought everything and I except I Feel Sick and I bought I Feel Sick. And uh, I fucking fell in love with it. got super into like the goth comic thing, which I was already kind of making weird goth comics, but like this just pushed me into very derivative shit. And like, then we went back, we found out where the comic store was now. We went back there and they were like, oh yeah, those two, they almost drove us out of business by selling off all of our stock. (laughs) Um, They've also been using all of our statue boxes as uh, footstools. And so all of our statues are smashed. We fired them and now we're desperately trying to survive we can't afford and to hire anyone do you guys want to help us unload the damage shipment every week in exchange for a free comic and we're like of course <laughs> so every week we would drive 2 hours to the store and spend like 4 hours like waiting around for the shipment to arrive and then unload it after the store closed and like sometimes the 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 manager would like buy us some fries or a can of coke and then he'd give us each one comic and that sort of like it ended up we'd go in there two days a week and we'd start sorting through their back uh their like um you know back issue bins and things for them in exchange for more stuff because we were like poor but like, broke like a bad joke you're, students you're, right? you're
0: teenagers yeah
1: yeah and then uh me and this friend we started dating this girl we started I started dating her and then because you know we were the only two people at our school who cared about comics so obviously everyone told us we had to date so we that's did that's the rule. Yeah. Yeah. Um and then she got a job at the store because they were they like they they weren't even shy about it like we would love to have a girl work here that would be really exciting for us and i think our customers would really enjoy it um so then i would go in and like make comics in the back part of the store on the on the couches for like 4 days a week while she worked and so at this point i was in my my senior year of high school um it would have been yeah like a week before i finished and uh i knew that hush was coming out and i was like i'm going to try collecting an actual thing issue by issue rather than just catching up on everything from the past so this was like this was really my first series
0: so wait hold on, hold on sorry is your life secretly a prequel to chasing amy <laughs> 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 or is it are you just an unproduced kevin smith movie on, on two legs the
1: Here's the thing here's the thing i before you knew me i had uh, like a very long time ago i was um a 300 pound man with long hair and a big beard and one day a picture of kevin smith came up on facebook.com and the facial recognition thing said is this you <laughs> I, was like, I need to make some changes in my life <sighs> all right so what that was you. what were you doing in 2002
0: i let's see october 2002 I was in sixth grade and fall is when the dances first started happening for, for my elementary schools. You could start going once you were in sixth, seventh and eighth grade. And then you were off to high school. That was how at least my part of America worked with, with grades. So I think I just gone to like my first dance and I was kind of, I was an overweight sixth grader. Didn't take the best care of myself. I was in sixth or sixth grade. I just really cared about PlayStation two mostly. And um, I think at this point I was really, really into collecting and building Gundam models. So I was like the coolest sixth grader at my school, obviously. And uh, just having unrequited crushes on people being too nervous to ask them to dance. And uh, I think actually by this point I had like just gotten, they're called Herbst appliances where it's like not braces, but it's like a, 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 hydraulic basically they would put in your mouth on your back row of teeth and they would use it to uh, move your teeth or your jaw bite forward so I didn't have I didn't have braces but I had like these two little like weird metal tusk things in like my lower jaw that like I it just looked like I had marbles basically like right under my lip so I was just the fucking coolest kid in my little corner of of Maine Yeah, I wasn't doing a whole lot no (laughs) Wouldn't really come out of my shell until like ninth grade. That was when I started getting a little more fun.
1: Yeah, I, um, listen, there, there, there's, I've spent an entire week talking about the, uh, the awful wild messy parts of my life. So all I will say is that while I was maintaining this one part of my life, I was also doing a lot of secret at that age. <laughs> i'm sure from what you've heard me say in conversation you can predict what those are at this point i had been arrested once
0: so it was a long time ago (laughs) many arrests
1: ago no i've only been arrested twice in my life and like neither time there have been any charges
0: so Um, does it does it even count
1: no well okay here's okay okay long story longer because i haven't told anyone the story for a while um i was at a party that I thought everyone at the party was there for the same fun activities as me. And it turns out that some of the people at the party were paying to be at this party, which technically made it an unlicensed sex club. And there was a police raid and we were all put into a prison cell. And uh, then in a kind of cartoonish display of small town justice, uh, a person came in, whispered something to the guard like like we're talking about real Barney Five shit here whispers something to the guard he walks out and then the owner of the mansion that the party had been in walks in whistling and twirling the keys on his finger and says <laughs> everyone can go home
0: yeah your, your life is just a Mad Libs written by a Magic 8 ball
1: there's just a lot going on <laughs> yeah I was a I was a different person
0: (laughs) (laughs) it really it took me for a loop and he said i was dating this girl i was like oh
1: okay oh
0: yeah no we were married for seven years gotcha oh fuck no you've told me that before okay (laughs) (laughs) sorry it's hard to keep up there's a lot of a lot of richard files in the old old brain computer here
1: it's reasonable let's talk about comics let's
0: talk about comics uh let's not talk about comics let's talk about the movies first um so as everyone who listens knows i like to give a little cultural context we talk about the comics that sold let's talk about the movies that were in theaters number one movie at the box office this is a uh, domestic united states box office sorry richard i didn't mean to discount new zealand
1: no it's fine this is right at the point where we were starting to catch up um why do you, yeah yeah i was gonna i was gonna say why don't i try and guess but there's no possible way i'd be able to do that
0: um number one jackass the movie just released in theaters that week
1: <laughs> soaring in at let me guess like 30 million
0: i think nine million its first day and like seven million its second day Not nothing too crazy
1: i mean sure but this is this is pre oh no it's not pre Man, is it it's 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 after that right so yeah we, we, spider-man we, we, was, it was, it was earlier in the summer yeah we've seen like we as we know the spider-man can break a hundred and aquaman can break a hundred can get one million more than spider-man according to the entourage tv series
0: oh hey never doubt big jim yeah (laughs) despite those rolling blackouts through throughout burbank it it can still cross a million
1: see the thing is you think that james cameron hit rock bottom when he went to the actual bottom of the ocean for a titanic but then you find (laughs) out that he hit rock bottom by being an entourage (laughs)
0: I liked him on Entourage. Mandy Moore always shows up in TV shows to like ruin people's lives. She like did that on Scrubs. She did that on How I Met Your Mother. Uh, she did that on Entourage. Yeah. She's just a, a cute little wrecking ball who sometimes sings songs. <laughs> uh,
1: number I two. On Scrubs. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Sorry. Number two. Number
0: two-, to do- <laughs> number two at the box office was The Ring. Remember that remake of that Japanese yeah. horror movie? Yeah.
1: Because then, because like, yeah because then you get the sequel is it, is it the first sequel where like the ring goes viral so now everyone everyone can die
0: no that was i think that that's was a di- Rings. that was a yeah that was a different movie the ring i didn't see it in theaters i was such a baby about horror movies and i still am but i remember seeing that at like a, a sleepover the next year and that's like probably top five most scared i've ever been just being like a dumb little 13 year old 12 year old watching that movie
1: yeah no no because it, it's it's the it's the if you want like you'll die in seven days unless you get someone else to watch a thing yeah and then they, they there is a sequel called rings where now like the video is online and so now you've got the girl crawling out of the computer screen and things
0: oh man i would actually watch that i i like the ring a lot and i actually liked ring too despite that dumb scene with all the fucking deer um thought that movie had a lot to say <laughs> number three ghost ship a movie i don't think i've seen all of but i remember the opening scene where like a line breaks and like cuts some dude's face in half and it's one of the gnarliest things i'd ever seen in sixth grade number five sweet home alabama reese witherspoon doing a a fucking not great southern accent hanging out with not matthew mcconaughey
1: that movie makes me so angry that movie is like it's the worst messaging it's like that that hallmark thing of like No, don't be a successful independent person. Go back to your hometown and settle. Except this was with a big budget. Don't marry Patrick Dempsey. Marry that guy
0: who's about to be the bad guy in The Hulk. Thanks, Angley. (laughs) Why you want to stay married to me? So I can kiss you whenever I want. Yeah, no, great movie. Number, Number six, My Big Fat Greek Wedding. Yeah, a classic. Yeah. Number seven, Red Dragon, the, uh, Silence of the Lambs prequel? The the remake of Manhunter. Yeah, but uh, I actually like Red Dragon, but I mean, Manhunter, you're, it's kind of tough to make a better movie than Michael Mann.
1: Yeah, yeah. Although, like, there's that... I, no matter what, every time I see Manhunter, there's that one scene in the grocery store where the cereal changes behind him between shots. <laughs> and it's such a jarringly bright color because it's fucking breakfast cereal that there's no way to like make it feel okay
0: yeah it, it looks like a Jackson Pollock in the background because it's in the cereal box and all of a sudden the, the
1: pattern changed yeah yeah, and like and look Red Dragon's good but um I think it's pretty hard you know like okay it's earlier so maybe Anthony Hopkins is just still full from eating all those people but <laughs> it's it's kind of implausible that he's a younger healthier version of the man we've seen 10 yeah. years ago <laughs>
0: Yeah, it's hard to make him look uh, younger four years after Meet Joe Black, where he, you know, had to had to escort death around. Uh, number eight, a personal favorite film, Punch Drunk Love. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That is a good one.
1: I, I I have often pointed out to people that uh, Adam Sandler has been in more, um, uh, has 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 been involved in more important, a, a larger number of important films than Stanley Kubrick.
0: Fuck yeah! <laughs> Especially with last year's release of Hustle, which listeners of this podcast know, I fucking love
1: that movie. Am I might I'm drinking scotch right now. Richard, what are you drinking? I'm I I poured myself uh, some whiskey on the rocks about two and a half hours ago for a um a deep and meaningful conversation with a friend of mine who's in a big breakup, and then they canceled the phone call, and then I found it, so it's very watered down whiskey. <laughs>
0: It's good. Stay hydrated. This is going to be a long <laughs> podcast, so so buckle up.
1: Uh,
0: let's see number, let's see six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Uh, number number nine. Uh, the transporter. Jason Statham. I actually like this movie. It felt it felt like a really weird like this is how Europe does action films. Uh, mm-hmm. it has just got like weird pacing and weird tone, but I actually appreciate that movie. I don't think it's good, but I think there's worse ways to spend you know ninety minutes on an airplane in 2002 it, than watching that movie
1: it does exactly what it's meant to do and i miss movies of that scope
0: yeah you no, know, to save the I, world
1: just save the day it's fine like i know that steven seagal is a, is a monster of a person um but i still really miss the time the, the days when we could have films like under siege and under siege to a dark territory <laughs> and i think jason statham is the only person who is uh really filling that role And Mm -hmm. and I I was about to say filling that role now, but that film was 20 years ago, so I don't really know if he's still around. I think he is. I feel like we're not
0: that far away from, like, a Crank 4 or a Crank 5. I don't know what number we're on.
1: Or, fuck it, Transporter. Everyone's talking about Uber. What if he's an Uber driver? Wouldn't that be good? I mean, because, like, we have the Fast and or Furious movies, Mm -hmm. but they've become such large-scale pieces of a franchise that it's just, you know... Where can they go beyond space? Because everyone does the joke of, like, oh, shouldn't they cross over with Transformers? And it's like, but we're, like, it's not implausible now. That <laughs> yeah, they were. But There's not a lot left to do, yeah. I, uh, let's I, see. I think those movies, they should have just had bigger and bigger cars each time. <laughs> there's, this, there's this one episode of Speed Racer where... Um, they're looking for some missing gold, like like billions of dollars in missing gold bars. And then there's this one giant car that's in the race. And probably in there, right? Probably in the giant car. And the giant car is like winning the race because it's so super fast. And they finally look inside the car, no gold. And they're like, oh, man, we really thought it would be inside the giant car. That made so much sense. Because obviously, you know, when you steal gold, you're like, got to take that to the races. Mm-hmm. And then it turned out the entire car was made of gold.
0: Oh, that's actually, that's smart.
1: Yeah it's well it's it's
0: it's an idea you, look yeah. up, you know
1: when, when you find out that long like, night wrote um Stuart Little yeah and they're like oh and maybe he wrote one episode of uh Speed Racer I guess like...
0: <laughs> it's like that episode of 30 Rock where uh Kenneth starts pitching tv shows and it's like he's like it's like a cross between mm-hmm. a like uh, let's make a deal and, and whatever. And it, yeah, they have to find, like, guess which briefcase has all the gold. And it's, just, like, the women who's holding it. And it's the ones who are, like, shaking because they're holding <laughs> a million dollars worth of gold. And they're like, oh, it's that case. <laughs> uh, tenth movie. Uh, I'll be honest. I don't know what this is. And I didn't even look it up. It's a movie called Abandon.
1: Never heard of it. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so, so, like, to give cultural context, like, what is the world feeling at this point? Like, why are we liking these kind of movies? There's like a heavy dose of fairly light comedy in there. Or if it's opening weekend for punishment Love, I would say people didn't know what they were going to get. And then like a lot of essentially fantasy of what if we could save it, save the world from a disaster, which feels like a very much like. Post 9-11. Yeah. Recently. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, That's who we are.
0: Yeah, I don't know. I think with Jackass, I love that it's number 1 movie actually means quite a bit to me. I I lived in South America for a year because my mom is from there. And uh, I didn't have a whole lot of movies because I was in 8th grade when I moved there, but like one of the eight movies I had was Jackass the movie. And I think I've actually seen that movie more times with like commentary than without because <laughs> I would I would just like fall asleep, close my eyes and just listen to the Jackass cast talking. And I think there was, like, a little bit of pride there of just being, like, a homegrown, like, it's basically just a home movie, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I I think the internet probably killed America's Funniest Home Videos, but Jackass definitely made it seem like, oh, it's, oh, the cat jumped on the dad's nuts and he fell over. Like, okay, that's cool. This guy got in a fucking bungee jump made out of whitey tighties.
1: (laughs) Beat that. (laughs) Did you know that Funniest Home Videos now has, like, its own dedicated channel? Like, it's a 24-hour service. That makes sense. I mean,
0: if MTV can just show fucking ridiculousness for 98 hours on repeat, like, America's Funny on video. I mean, that's basically just, like, YouTube Lite, right? Or it's, like, proto-YouTube. It's, like, 2002 YouTube.
1: They're literally, like, the people who work there, like, scrape YouTube to find content and reach out to people, like, do you want 50 bucks for your video? Okay, yeah. Yeah, it's kind of wild. I, I was talking to a guy who worked there like a while back, and he was like, yeah, we make about an hour of new content each week and then reframe everything with different sound effects and captions.
0: Hey, man, Alfonso ribera he's, he's got to eat, you know, garlic yeah. bread dunker on trees, so <laughs> i glad he's still working.
1: <laughs> and like, here's the thing, they have a limited window because everyone who doesn't know about the internet is going to die at some point. <laughs>
0: Yeah, people that are still holding like, no, it's I swear it's just a fad. It's just a longer fad than we thought it was gonna be. It's outlasted high-rise genes, but it can't last much longer than that.
1: Yeah, but if we're basing it on high-rise genes, the internet's gonna go away and come back again. It's gonna and come
0: back after. stronger, stronger than before.
1: <laughs> like kids are back into Tamagotchi again, you know. I get that though, because it's not
0: connected to the internet. No one's calling you fat or stupid on your Tamagotchi. You just forget to feed your cat pet so you you feel fat and stupid but no one's telling no one's calling you fat and stupid
1: no but see there's this there's this whole thing where you can there's a virus someone developed once the tamagotchis became interactive with other tamagotchis and so you could infect other people's tamagotchis so that the the pet became like depressed and wouldn't stop eating and would eventually kill itself jesus christ we like literally couldn't have anything no no we can't like 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 people there was a, a thing of like people would like go to a school and like deliberately infect one kid's toy to make sure everyone else got it
0: man that was like uh like in health class uh we were all given vials one day to explain like how an std can spread and so you had to like you had to cover it and then like pour a little bit into someone's and they pour a little bit into yours and it's just like see only one person had this std but now 70% of you have STDs. And that was how they taught us to wear condoms. Actually, I don't think they could say that. I think they were like, that's why you should be abstinent. Um, but it's like that with Tamagotchis, which is way crueler than just exchanging <laughs> fake fluids in, in test tubes.
1: I, I do really like the idea, though, that, like, at least your thing was provided by the school. All these kids are buying this fucking thing. I'm like, maybe they can be rebooted now, but, like, I know when when they first came out, which I mean, you would have been, like, I I like, six. Like, yeah,
0: six when I came out,
1: yeah. Yeah, um, the big scary thing was that, like, if your Tamagotchi died three times, it was gone forever. So, you know. That's, like the, that's like the first, like, idle game, right? Like,
0: you know, how, like, on phones, you can just, like, oh, I gotta check in, oh, I gotta build my shit, gotta, gotta build my farm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that was the first one. <laughs> Richard, you ready to talk about some music? Yes, yes, I am. All right. Um, Number one, according to Billboard Hot 100, Dilemma by Nelly featuring Kelly Rowland. Number two was Gangsta Lovin' by Eve featuring Alicia Keys. Number three was a moment like this by Kelly Clarkson. Oh, so life, son, like Number four was Hey Ma by Cameron, featuring Jules Santana, Freaky Ziki and Toya. Number five was Work It by Missy Fucking Elliot.
1: It it?
0: No. No. Richard, do any of these songs stand out to you?
1: Work It, obviously. Like, only Work It. Nothing. I have never heard of those other four. <laughs> Oh really? Oh man, yeah. well, Ke- Kelly Rowland I mean, I, like, from De- from Destiny's Child that Nelly song. I mean, like maybe I know the song if I like, if I heard the song, you know, I might be like, oh, I kind of know that maybe, but like the title of it means nothing to me. Okay,
0: uh, I think
1: also this is right at the point where I have my very own CD burner so uh, okay yeah like i'm dipping back into like all the shit that i'd missed out on as a 12 and 13 year old that i couldn't afford so mm-hmm. like my musical rotation is very much like soul asylums runaway train and some marcy playground b-sides I don't even know what i was listening to at this point because i i first started
0: buying cds when i was in third grade and i was in sixth grade at this point but i'd kind of fallen off because you're right like this was peak i think this was post napster Mm-hmm. But this is like a uh, Morpheus, like the, the, oh, first, yeah, yeah. the first big file sharing in Kazaa, the first big file sharing thing I can remember post and did before have, before um, LimeWire.
1: Did you have Audio Galaxy? Did not, no. So Audio Galaxy was amazing because it was like, it's own, it was the first one that was owned, like little separate, Uh, you had to search on a website and then it would send the thing to a little app. And... Then there was a thing called Audio Galaxy Satellite where you could log into another website and download entire albums at once, and it only took like a day. Oh, that's <laughs> it was um... incredible. And so you'd be like, okay, just, like as long as my internet connection doesn't get cut off for this day, like I convinced my mother to get a second phone line just so that I could like download every single Corn album. We we had a we had a second line. phone line also. What kind of internet were you
0: rocking back in two thousand two? Because I think we had like a twenty eight k modem we were at
1: 56k because we were very fancy um like remember with um fuck what was the one that wasn't am i allowed to swear on this one yeah absolutely okay cool okay i just want to make sure you're not going to get you know an explicit tag that you don't want um after napster um or even during napster there was like a better napster for cooler kids um napigator and on napigator you could (laughs) um yeah uh you could see what kind of modem the person you were downloading the torrent from had or it's not even a torrent is it um so you could like you you would like you could order you get your search results and then order it by like do they have the t3 or the t1 Mm -hmm. or whatever you know whatever k um and like i don't know what any of those numbers mean like i have no idea what a t3 is I don't either, I, I, but I think it's like golf. Like, I think the lower number is
0: better with T's. Like, I think T1 is just like, holy fuck, that's a T1 connection. Like, I, th- I think oh, that was faster okay. than three, but I also uh don't know. So don't hold me to that.
1: Okay, well, I mean, look, all I'm going to say is that I didn't manage to download the entire album by uh Fuel uh or the entire album by Lit uh, because of my shitty internet. You just you wanted to find
0: out what they had in their hands besides that hemorrhage. Is is that (laughs) is that why you needed needed to know what
1: fuel was up to? (laughs) Yes, and I needed to like really relate to someone else who was their own worst (laughs) enemy. I I I didn't mean
0: I didn't mean to call you that.
1: The, the first time i um i found that someone had like an entire rip of a cd that included the the music video content that was on only the cd rom part of it i was like holy shit i can like i can get the dolphins crime music video for myself <laughs> like this is this is amazing i'm gonna watch this on my computer screen all the time not worth it mm-hmm. not worth it at all uh my i
0: have an older sister who is your exact age so i i I do remember going through very similar experiences with her just because it was like, oh, what are we doing tonight, Alex? You know, it's my sister's name. And she's just like, well, I'm about to download this entire album. I was like, oh, OK. And just like sitting over her shoulder like a stupid fucking parrot. <laughs> like wasn't even like really smart enough to like repeat what, uh, what, what she was saying, just because she was operating on a completely different level than I was uh, musically at that time. But this was like peak era where like you'd see like a song like closing time, right? Famous mm-hmm. song by Semisonic, but you'd search closing time and it'd be like closing time by Blink182, closing time by some forty one. You're like, Holy fuck, <laughs> they did covers of this song. That's incredible. Yeah, I want to download all these. And then you'd spend all night downloading six versions of the, the song just to find out that like the person who labeled it had no fucking clue who sung the song. And they mm-hmm. were all the version by Semisonic.
1: Yeah. Well, this is like uh, if you downloaded Marcy Playground's first record from Audio Galaxy Satellite from the most popular of the downloaded sources, the sixth track, Sherry Fraser, was in fact D&D by Sonic, <laughs> um, And everyone was like, you know what my favorite Marcy Playground song is? Whatever that sixth one is. It fucking rules. Love that song. We should listen to that some more we're we'll all just listening to Sammy sonic and have a great time but like different sound the voice sounds kind of different it's weird yeah, they're, they're really getting experimental midway through the south
0: <laughs> it's like uh did you ever see that movie Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist
1: oh yeah yeah of course
0: yeah it's like when they're going out they're so excited to see where's Fluffy or whatever and all like it's just it's always fucking uh who's Randy or whatever that band is called <laughs> just always the bait always the bait and switch
1: <laughs> but you know it's it's um that strange thing where you uh back when like music was advertised on television and they'd play like on on the on the ad they'd play like like four or five seconds of each song and they'd kind of mix them a little bit together and then you'd listen to the real song you'd be like no this isn't how it goes (laughs) this is a very confusing way for you to put together this thing or like like you know now that's what i call music volume whatever no Chumbawamba is, in fact, followed by Imbop, not anything else. Yeah, that's the
0: order it goes. And the same thing when you, like, mix your CDs where it's just, like, mm. n- you get so confused by the order. Like, when you hear a song it's just, like, that Pavlovian response, like, waiting for uh, Kick Me When I'm High by SR71. You're like, no, that always comes on immediately after Johnny Cash is hurt. Like, that's the fucking rule.
1: Or you go to a party and then they have, a like, a six CD changer and so just a bunch of cool albums have been put in there And every now and again, there's like a five second silence because uh, one of the albums is either Antichrist Superstar, which has 99 tracks on it, uh, most of which are silent, or uh, Follow the Leader by Korn, where the music starts on track 13, which they eventually have to start putting a sticker on the cover because so many people try to return that album. (laughs) That or
0: there's just like a really fucking long conversational interlude because someone put Wu-Tang in. (laughs)
1: <laughs> like,
0: no we gotta we gotta hear this 45 second conversation
1: like, before kids we move on. today don't know how lucky they are that they can skip past the first minute of a bright eyes jam
0: <laughs> that uh, those commercials though for like out, compilation albums like the songs of love you know whatever yeah. and it, like late night i used to keep a post-it note on my nightstand and like like okay oh this song uh love hurts that's by a band called nazareth just because i was so interested in like I guess like the etymology of, of mm-hmm. pop culture, always trying to trace the cord back to the wall. And I always thought that shit was fascinating. And like one of the things I didn't even honestly realize I missed until I started like watching late night TV again. Once I got cable like two years ago, where I'm just like, Oh, where's, where's the old hallmarks? Where's where the, the dependable foundation of TV that I can rely on now. It's, it's just like nonstick copper pans on ESPN late at
1: night. This was also like the point where like Fleetwood Mac had gotten like they'd done that big tour that had been recorded and it was just like ads every day for like you can finally get the Fleetwood Mac live like VHS like multi multi VHS collection or whatever. And then a couple of years ago I remember seeing like oh it's the 20th anniversary of that. I was like oh oh I'm a decaying husk <laughs> because like I could have sworn, like, my mother still has the same TV that I saw that on, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: I remember th- there was a commercial for, like, a, the Super Bowl winners, and if you called in the first 20 minutes of that ad airing, um, you'd get, like, the football phone that they talked about in Wayne's World 2, and I oh, remember nice. being like, oh, that would be so cool to have that football phone, So I remember calling as, like, a nine-year-old, an eight-year-old who, like, didn't understand how the world worked yet, and being like, yeah, man, I just, I got to get that phone. They're like, okay, like, you got a credit card? I was like, what's that? Like <laughs> no, I just you said to call. It's you said it's only twenty dollars. I got twenty dollars. Like yeah, but we need a credit card. I'm like, well, I've got twenty dollars. Like, can we make this work? <laughs> like, what, what what do I have to do to get that phone?
1: There was a, um, I don't even remember what the show was. There was a, a a kind of variety show, not from New Zealand, by the way, mm-hmm. um, that played at like seven o'clock on a Saturday night, and there was always this thing each week where like this wacky character kind of in the vein of like a mr blobby type would show up at someone's like like work event or like embarrassing moment for them and it was and then it would be like if you want this to happen to like someone you know if you want to embarrass someone for our show like write into us and so uh three days before my mother's 40th birthday party i wrote on a post-it a letter that said can you please come to my mom's birthday party here's the address here's the time and i like sent it to the address and then like during that party i just sat there like just i was so happy i was like it's gonna happen guys it's gonna this is gonna be so exciting everyone's <laughs> gonna laugh so much and you, i've never been so disappointed you doxed your mom <laughs> like <laughs> Look, i was I mean, I mean you know this for me as an adult i was the kid who had no idea what wasn't funny all <laughs> well, that and you had no idea what wasn't possible hmm
0: Right? Like, did yeah. you just assume life followed cartoon logic and cartoon rules until you, uh, an age you were too embarrassed to admit?
1: Um, there were certain, there are certain things that I will still every now and again just kind of try. And I, I started try and play it off like it's a joke. Like if something's really going wrong, I'll try and snap my fingers and see if it fixes it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do, there's a part of me that's like, if I believe hard enough, this might work.
0: Richard, I can't think of a better segue.
1: <laughs>
0: into Batman Hush.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes, they thought if they if they just snapped their fingers it might work, but we ended up with Hush. You wanna
0: talk about it a little bit before we before we jump into things?
1: Um yeah, I mean like we're we're only gonna cover the first six issues, right? Correct, yeah. Okay. Um I reread it this week. And I was really confronted by the fact that, like, this this book loomed so large in my memory of comics. Mm-hmm. And I realized as I read it that I had absolutely no memory of anything that happened in it. Mm-hmm. It was a completely new comic to me, and it was largely indecipherable. It just felt like, it felt like, and now that's what I call music of Batman characters.
0: That, I think, is a really kind way to put it. I, I think of this, like, I... <sighs> Rereading this book, I don't think it's a particularly good Batman book. I think it's, like, the perfect first Batman book for someone to read. Okay, yeah, that seems... if, if that like seems ugh, Actually, that's not even true. I think it's the perfect first Batman book to read if you're more interested in the world surrounding Batman than the character Batman. Right? So this book, written by Jeff Loeb, drawn by Jim Lee, inked by Scott Williams, colored by Alex Sinclair, and lettered by Richard Starkings... This is like a tour of the Batman mythos at large. Jeff Loeb, Mm -hmm. super famous for working with Tim Sale on other Batman stories like Long Halloween and Dark Victory. And those are considered kind of out of time, omnipresent, always relevant Batman stories where self-contained universe, 12 issues, gorgeously illustrated by Tim Sale. Dude was an absolute master. Rest in peace, Tim Sale. But this book is trying to be like a centralized uh framework i guess like within like the entire dc structural apparatus right and so yeah. i think this is like the perfect introduction if you're like oh you think batman's cool wait till you see everything surrounding batman but besides that i don't think it's a good batman story
1: <laughs> no it's, it, it felt like they were trying to make everyone really comfortable like if you've watched the animated series we've got all of them like mm-hmm. harley's going to show up the joker's going to be there just for a second at the end of this this is what we're talking about um you know, Poison Ivy's there. Superman's there. Lois Lane is there. Perry White is there for no reason. He's there <laughs> for a reason. He's there to remind us that Perry White exists and that we all had a crush on Lane Smith at some point. <laughs> like, there's there's really nothing else for him to be doing. And then it's and it's all because and like I mean, they, look they even they even show that like Batman's origin it, like twice. In the first six issues. Oh, wait, sorry. And we
0: should we should talk about this. Uh, which version of Hush did you read? Because I read, I have the issues downstairs. I did not read the single issues. I have the first trade paperbacks, which is originally how I read this story. I went on Hoopla, and I got the version printed in, I believe, 2019 or 2020.
1: I read this version, which is okay. all of it collected, including the wizard issue, which I is somewhere in the middle, uh, which I have not looked at. Um, I, I, what I'm really interested by is that like, even reading those first six issues, I have no idea what's coming next because like, normally this kind of stuff triggers my memory. Like I can remember, um, everyone shits on it, but the, the, the next book, the For Tomorrow Superman book, Mm -hmm. I remember how that goes and it was bad, but I remember how it goes. And this one, like complete mystery. And like the whole Tommy Elliott thing is... I think i think that's a big part of it they're like look we're gonna get a lot of people coming to batman for the first time with this because jim lee can draw the bottom of a boot pretty good mm-hmm. um we need if we're going to have this new character in here we need to make sure we have everyone's favorites so they don't feel like they're, mi- they're missing anything we need to show where batman comes from we need to have alfred introduce himself repeatedly we need to like, I don't know why Huntress is there, because that like goes against my entire theory, because no one no one knows who Huntress is if they haven't been reading comics right. at that point. Had the Birds of Prey TV series happened?
0: I think the TV series had happened. I want to say that was 2000. If not, then okay. it was 2002. But I, I don't think it's, like, recognizably Huntress. You know, like, like that version of Huntress on the TV show. Because like Huntress had like her sort of big coming out party a few years earlier in the story we talked about earlier, uh No Man's Land, right? That was like her big sort of coming out party. Yeah. Uh, where, where she moved more centrally into the, the bat family as opposed to just being a periphery character, a peripheral yeah. character.
1: Yeah, and they and they kind of like they recreated that story in uh in arrow as well later on. Like yeah, see, like no man's land is so influential. No one has done Hush. I mean, I know they did an animated adaptation of Hush, but like, who cares? <laughs> <laughs> the the DC animated movies have not been good for a while.
0: I think there's, I, I think there's uh, valleys and peaks. Like, I, I think it it it's like, oh, that was a really good one, and then two like average ones, and then like, oh fuck, like they actually like, you know, they they kind of took breaks on the last two like i actually thought like soul of the dragon which came out last year like those like the 70s like black exploitation, kung fu influence one i was like oh that one's like got a personality that
1: one's kind of interesting um i miss i miss that one i saw the oh. last one i saw was gotham by gaslight and i remember thinking um
0: wow grant morrison this, would have fucking hated this
1: <laughs> like, like I, I kept thinking like this feels like it's trying to be something i appreciate that it's pushing. But I I get very annoyed when they're like, and in the old days there was someone else just like a character, you know. Um but no, also it it, <laughs> it it wasn't like it wasn't as good as the New Frontier adaptation. It wasn't as good as yeah. Superman Doomsday.
0: That but that ga- that Batman Gotham by Gaslight specifically felt like it was made for people who thought Jack Skellington and Sally were like the ideal couple.
1: <laughs>
0: you know, who are just like, fuck, they were they were they're it. They're they're the one they're the the brady family of <laughs> the 90s mm-hmm. um i agree with you this the story is so frantically like momentous right like the story is constantly moving forward where mm-hmm. i think they do actually like a pretty good job of dropping in little character moments considering how fast break like the plot is but rereading this now i haven't read it in probably like 10 years it really does feel like I can just see the baton as it's like rushing through the story, being handed off to the next villain, as it's being handed off to the next side character, as it's being handed off to the next like, oh, hey, let's move the camera onto this corner of Bruce Wayne, Batman's life. Like, it really does feel like like we were talking about earlier, like a greatest hits album, right, where it's just like, no, we need to hit all the beats. Like, we need to condense the entire Batman mythology into 12 issues which is a really tall order it's it's ambitious it's really impressive like scope wise I think it falls a little flat in execution um, yeah. but I I do think like if this is one of the first five Batman stories you read I think this is like a solid place to start
1: yeah I mean I think that there is it's some very clumsy writing yes. um, there's like an awful lot of, uh, hey, Catwoman is here. Let's make some cat jokes. And also it sort of feels like maybe maybe the characters genuinely believe she's part cat sleepwalker style when they say certain <laughs> things like it's very confusing the way they're like I, I can't remember the specific thing that really jumped out at me but it's oh it's no she, she made difficult. she made
0: some comment she made some comment in like issue four or five or whatever where she's just like oh did you have a date earlier like it's hard to miss the smell of chanel number five sorry mm. that was catty <laughs> like...
1: yeah but there, there's like there's another one which is almost like oh it's oh it's when he when he when they drop into the water, he's like, you know, like cats don't do well in water. It's like, yeah, but she's a person, okay? <laughs> like, like, oh man, I gotta get Catwoman to come here. Better leave some milk out. No, <laughs> she, she's a human that you kissed. And uh, oh I no, she, her. oh no, she
0: threw up on my bedroom floor in the middle of the night, and I slipped on it. Shit, I hate it when that happens because cats.
1: There, <laughs> there is one very good moment though, um, where. Actually, wait, wait, are we going to do the, like the best line at the end? I'll save it for that.
0: We, we can, we can save it for that we normally just do that for, for movies, but i if you have one that sticks out from these yeah. first six issues, I would love to jump into it. Um, Do you want to jump into like the summary of Batman 608 where the story kicks off? Sure. Sure. All right. Uh, Batman 608 came out October 23rd, 2002. It is by Jeff Loeb, drawn by Jim Lee with inks by Scott Williams, colors by Alex Sinclair, lettered by Richard Starkings. This is chapter one, it's called The Ransom. It's almost midnight and Batman is breaking into a warehouse with acid instead of his lockpick set because he just doesn't have time. After quickly dispatching four mercenaries and guns for hire from all walks of life, he finds Edward Lamont IV, a young boy who's heir to the Lamont chemical fortune and unfortunately been kidnapped by a mutated killer croc. Batman fights this more beastly, less human version of croc and comes to the realization that he's simply not smart enough to pull something like this off. Way too elaborate. Batman knocks Croc out and leaves him hogtied for the FBI, except the $10 million ransom demand is missing. Batman chases after Catwoman, the woman, (laughs) the person who stole that uh, that suitcase full of doll hairs, uh, who tears across rooftops trying to escape with the money and laments her return to larceny. He's sad. He thought she was turning the corner, being a better person, and all of a sudden she's not. Suddenly, Batman's bat rope is cut by parties unknown mid-swing, and Batman is falling to his death. He manages to grab a gargoyle statue adorning a nearby building and slows his fall, but really fucks himself up in the process. He falls into an alley and is approached by opportunistic criminals excited to take out the bat. Elsewhere in Gotham, Catwoman returns to her mind-controlling handler, Poison Ivy. Alright, so start to a story. Starts off with a bang. We, we go in media res. Batman's already breaking into the warehouse and he's so sparse. One thing I do appreciate about this book. I fucking hate really big narrative boxes. I think that's, mm-hmm. I, I don't want to say lazy, but I feel like it's just kind of like a security blanket for writers. And the yeah. one thing I do really get from the sparseness of Jeff Loeb's narration is how much trust he puts in Jim Lee, which makes sense. Cause Jim Lee, generally pretty good at what he does.
1: I, I'm i going to disagree on a couple of points there. Because, oh, um, okay. Because every single time a character who we've seen before comes into frame, Jeff Lowe feels the need to remind us of who that character is and what the relationship is to Batman, because um, Jim Lee's character designs outside of costumes are not very distinctive in this book. Oh, that's interesting.
0: I really thought that was for the readers. Like I thought they were like... I know every comic is someone's first comic, but it feels like this story in particular was mandated to be like, no, you need to pretend that this is like, Batman's canon is established, but you need to treat everyone reading this like they're a fucking moron who's never read a Batman comic before. This needs to be like, we need to sell this shit in airports. We need to sell this shit in train stations. This is how we get into Borders and Barnes and Nobles. Like we want this to be the book at the end of the shelf. Like it felt like an editorial directive. I never thought for once that it was, like, because Jim Lee's character designs aren't even indistinct, but kind of analogous? Like, they all just, you're right, they all kind of look similar. Like, everyone's hot in, like, a slightly
1: 5% different way. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, I would agree with you if if you could say for the issues, but when you're saying this is a book in Barnes & Noble and, and, and Borders, whatever, like, you don't need to have repeated that every, every issue of it. Because, okay. like, every time Tommy Elliott shows up, he has to say, oh, Tommy Elliot, my childhood friend, who <laughs> I recently had my life saved by. Okay, yeah, that's fair. Um, and you know, like, I don't know, like Jim Lee, <laughs> I would I would be very happy if Jim Lee would like take the Eddie Campbell approach and just forget to draw heads sometimes because he is very good at, at drawing like dynamic bodies. Good for him. He he the the heads are all the same. Mm-hmm. I mean they're not all the same. Alfred looks different because he's a big cartoon, but yeah, there's <laughs> I don't know. Um, I am very confused in this first issue and later when it's referred back to. Is Killer Croc too smart to have done a plan this with t- this many variables? Or is Killer Croc too dumb to do a plan that requires this many uh, logistical pieces of planning? Because he goes back and forth on that a lot. I he I the
0: impression I got at the end of this was Batman was like none of this is right Killer Croc can't do this he's too fucking stupid because like they there's like one page which is, we're gonna have a side conversation afterwards but where he takes out like mercenary after mercenary like oh this guy's ex-CIA oh this guy's like Gotham Muscle mm-hmm. oh this guy was yeah. working for whoever and I broke um his ribs
1: just two days ago
0: yeah I actually like that part I'm like oh yeah he's fucking Batman already <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm such a basic bitch when it comes to comics. Uh sorry. <laughs> and,
1: Look, uh, I, I like that stuff too. I just I just think that like because he, he does keep saying like there are too many variables here. Killer mm-hmm. croc would do this. But does Jeff Loeb not know what variables are? Variables are are like problems in a you know problems where a plan can fall apart. It seems like he's saying Killer Croc is too smart to do that. And then he's saying Killer Croc is too dumb to pull this off. But then he's also saying Killer Croc's barely a person anymore. How could he have possibly pulled off this incredibly intricate
0: plan? Well, I think the way that they were talking about it, like... This isn't Killer Croc's normal thing, like the kidnapping of the child. Like that kidnapping. that's not something Killer Croc would do. And it's just like, why does he need money? That was like something they kept bringing up. Like, why does he like what the fuck does he need $10 million for? And we find out later. It's because like he's mutating at an advanced rate and he's trying to get money so he can reverse it, right? Because mm-hmm. healthcare yeah. in Gotham City is somehow worse than it is in the rest of the country.
1: Even, to be fair, like even at even at yet. Arkham Asylum. <laughs>
0: <laughs> to be fair, what?
1: It's, it's mutation. Like, it, it might be very expensive everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's a good point. Uh,
0: But he's just like, okay, this isn't his normal thing. Like, you'd eat... I think there's a line where he says, like, you'd eat the kid first or, like, kill the kid mm-hmm. a, he, at well, a certain he point.
1: He, he'd take the money and kill the kid.
0: Yeah. And so the fact that he's, like, playing... I, I, there's, like, references to this later in the story, but just, like, playing to someone else's script. And so mm-hmm. I think Batman understands immediately that he's... uh not the person who's orchestrating all this, but just the person who's perpetrating it. It's just like, yeah, this is not his style. This isn't his MO. This is too elaborate for him to pull off. Um, About the characterization of Batman, I don't want to say that this is like where Batman sort of became perfect, but like there's one line where... He tried to time this out. So, like, he sends Killer Croc out to pick up the money, and he has like a small window to pick up uh, Edward Lamont IV. And uh, he manages to rescue this kid from all the mercenaries that he took out. And um, Killer Croc comes back early, and he has this line where he's like, I was off by 11 seconds. You know, just trying to talk about like that precision badassery of Batman. Is
1: Batman too perfect? <laughs> like,
0: like yeah, generally,
1: Batman's kind of a Mary Sue. Um, yeah. Okay. Thank
0: you. Yeah. That <laughs> uh, that that was what I was building towards. Yeah.
1: Yeah. He um. He's so he's so perfect, but like so clearly based on the idea of if he knows everything that's already going on, mm-hmm. like is this again? Because I read everything so out of order. Is this before or after? Um. Uh. Identity Crisis.
0: This was two years before Identity Crisis.
1: Okay, because like that's the point where we find out that like Batman is the is the mastermind behind all of these like clever things that have to be you know like he, he knows everything that's going on, and mm-hmm. then later there's the like um Batman doesn't realize that this perfect plan is something that only he could have come up with. I can't remember how that. Yeah. Went Wait. Side but, note. Like, side note. Do you want to come back
0: and talk about Identity Crisis?
1: Um, I've never finished Identity Crisis. Oh, that
0: book uh, is such a fucking mess. Yeah,
1: (laughs) everyone loves it so much. And again, it that's it's another book exactly like this. Like that was their first book that was going to be in the book market before, like 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 day to date with the with the uh, comic market. That was that that book was a huge deal for that, and it, it blew up for them. But yeah, I don't think it's um.
0: Go I don't ahead. think it's I don't think it's good. I think it's beautiful. Rags Morales is an incredible artist, but God does that book yeah. suck. All right. I'll I'll we'll have you back in a few few weeks, few months, talk about that book. But uh sorry, back to Hush. Yeah. Um it, you're you're a storyteller, you you do sequential art, you have many, many comics out there. Uh as far as like a explosive blockbuster type story, how do you feel about this as like an opening issue?
1: On page one, uh I spent so long looking at one panel trying to figure out what was going on. Uh, it's Batman's hand reaching down to lift the door. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you can't see the fingers going under the door. The angle's a little bit off. It kind of looks like Batman is just like weirdly crouching to lower his hand to be next to his foot. But I'm not sure why. Um, so I don't think it's good. Okay, I think there are parts that are good. I think... like. I think that Jim Lee is an incredibly talented artist. Like I'm not here to shit on Jim Lee at all. Mm-hmm. I think Jim Lee has a style that I find really off putting. Um, it's, it's so like, like, I I love, I love like the, the, the Brian Hitch stuff. I love like uh, David Finch. I love John Cassidy to a certain point, except for the ears. Um, <laughs> but like, I, I love that. I love that clean superhero style. Um, when it's like, when it's like halfway to being real, so it feels iconic and special. And Jim Lee is like, these dynamic poses and these cool things, but then like, the fuck-ups are so apparent. So like, and it's, it on covers, he does a great job, in big splash pages does a great job. Like, if you think about All-Star Batman and Robin, it's like, it's, it's fantastic when he's doing giant splash pages, and kind mm-hmm. of terrible when it's like 24 panel close-ups, because Frank Miller's writing, and he's out of his mind, I guess. Um, but when you get like something like hush, where it's like here's a small panel of Batman and his hand is bigger than his head and it's a claw for some reason, or like like that face is just kind of sitting off to the side or melting, or like Harley is turning like 180 degrees and shooting backwards while her legs are still going forward. And it's not just the broke bag pose of it all. It's that you can do that shit if you make it look like they're moving and Jim Lee makes it look like they're standing still and twisted in half
0: that's fair I think you looked at the art a little more critically than I did and I wonder if that's just because of like the name of Jim Lee right where like you mentioned that he's like an incredible incredibly talented artist like this dude is kind of one of the closer people to comic book royalty that's happened post golden and silver age right like it's kind of a a hollowed name to talk about jim lee and i wonder honestly if i just like wasn't looking at it too closely just because i'm like oh like in jim lee we trust
1: well because this was his big return right
0: yeah this was see this is 2002 so like in in the 90s he ran wildstorm which was an imprint of image and then i think By like 1999, he sold it to DC. Mm -hmm. And so that's why Stormwatch, which was originally an image book, became the authority at DC under their wild, like they took Wildstorm and they kept that imprint, but it was owned by DC at that point. And so in 99, they launched Planetary and uh, the Authority. And so he was technically under the umbrella of DC at that point. But I think this was his first return to like monthly penciling in Mm-hmm. um uh, in a while
1: yeah so i think that was like a big part of what made it a big deal and like mm-hmm. why i think they thought that there'd be so many people so many people who had been following wildstorm stuff were going to come to dc so that was why they had to do this reintroduction um i remember everyone being really excited like this was the first time as well that i'd been aware of like an issue one of something becoming valuable quickly uh, and then losing its value just as quickly
0: I think this is Batman 608?
1: Yeah, yeah. Like like the the first issue of Hush, um and again, this is New Zealand specific, so I don't sure, know yeah. what it was doing in the rest of the world, but like two weeks after that issue came out, uh was like it was like like copies that were left over and it were suddenly selling for like hundred and fifty bucks and people were buying them. Because people were so crazy get this book, and I was like, "Well, I, I bought mine on on day one, so I paid six dollars twenty for it back at that point." Um, and yeah, like I'll, I'll I'll get into what I did with my Hush issues later, but like <laughs> I, I I made a good deal. Um. Yeah, it it felt like there was so much buzz around this, and at the time, I mean, I was a seventeen, and I. It just was like, I don't I don't really know what comic art is meant to look like. Right. Mm-hmm. Like I I don't know. I think we all when we don't read comics, we all have an idea of what superhero art is. And I think that someone like David Finch or someone like Brian Hitch is kind of the epitome of that exact thing. Um and Jim Lee is is so close to that thing. And I think the difference that he has in the scratchiness and the weird jagged hairlines and things is what makes people think of him as like incredibly special and 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 outside of it um but to me as a 17 year old i was like oh you're you're just pretty good at almost doing this thing right and now as a 37 year old it's like i hate this and i'm so like i'm so annoyed by how close to perfect it is that every little thing um, is is off? Like you know, you know, like the big iconic image of Batman falling, and his boot is right there in the foreground, and mm-hmm. you can see the underside of the boot. And he he draws the underside of a boot real well, but the top part of the boot is actually in, in a different perspective than the rest of the boot, and that uh, is incredibly noticeable when you're expecting to see something perfect.
0: That is. Really interesting. Again, like I'm not a comic book artist the, the way you are. I, I I don't really I don't know how to create. I know how I know how to observe. And I guess again, like I think maybe just because like the name Jim Lee was attached, I just assumed everything was good. But it's it's funny because we were talking about like um like the images associated with like him taking out like all the mercenaries. Mm-hmm incredibly unclear like that part did stand out to me where it's like a montage a two-page spread where he's taking out four different uh pieces of muscle as he's trying to get to edward lamont the fourth the child who was kidnapped um it was weird to me to read that because like i can't disassociate this but like i remember batman begins came out right the first christopher Mm -hmm. nolan movie and everyone's just like oh the the fight choreography is so fucking unclear and like me as like a 15 year old seen that movie who smoked like a little bit of pot I was like yeah that's because no one had ever seen anything like Batman and no one could fucking keep up with him that's why it looked like that you dumb fuck and like looking (laughs) at this now as like a 32 year old almost 33 year old who like doesn't really smoke that much pot anymore I'm like oh this is kind of a lazy thing like it was just showing like oh a person's face and then Batman's like arm just like crossing it you know and it was just like oh so like this montage like i understand this but also kind of felt like low-hanging fruit i guess just for the expediency of the story
1: yeah it's also that like it's it's early early digital coloring and so uh you know if this had been done traditionally i think that there would have been like two or three wildly different colors happening in each of those panels and it would have been like a a, a pale purple for the the villain being punched or whatever Mm -hmm. and then like a bluish gray for batman and then like a dark green for everything else these are bad color choices but i'm just saying like different things so that would create a sense of depth and value and suddenly we can have gradients and we can have like this kind of cleaner look and everything is colored in this way that makes it feel very flat because people haven't started like really pushing what can be done with contrast to do like the visual storytelling side of coloring Mm-hmm. I mean, it's also this is the point where like digital coloring still looks really nice and interesting, and I, I I really liked a lot of it. Um, but like, and not that it doesn't now, but like, there's there's a lot to like about what's going on there. But then when you get those big action sequences, people weren't really using color holds to create depth and stuff like that. I also want to be really clear when I when I'm like critiquing this i cannot do what jim lee does on any level i'm just saying this as someone who like thinks about art as i'm drawing a lot yeah and, and, and color theory does. yeah and all that yeah. stuff <laughs> yeah. yeah i can tell like look it's like it's like there are a lot of editors who can't write um but can tell what's wrong with a story yeah. um i i cannot do what jim lee does but i can i i can notice it when he's doing it wrong
0: completely fair um Wow. That was, I think probably like the most in depth we've ever gone on like an introductory issue. And I'm very happy with that. (laughs) Richard, before we jump into uh, the next issue, do you mind if we take a quick break? Perfect. Cool. I need more whiskey. I need to pee and smoke half a cigarette. So
1: I'll be back in like five minutes. All right. Perfect. We are back. Batman
0: 609, Chapter 2, The Friend, came out November 27, 2002, by the same creative team. Batman manages to press the life alert he keeps on his belt, sending off a warning to the rest of the Bat family. Oracle, the logistics and project manager of the group, former Batgirl Barbara Gordon, rallies who she can in the area to help Bruce. The criminals try to unmask Batman, but a series of self defenses protect his identity. When one pulls out a gun and is about to pull the trigger, vigilante Huntress swoops in on her motorcycle and unleashes a total ass kicking over the next five pages. Once she's done, the Batmobile arrives remotely piloted by Oracle and Huntress loads Bruce's limp, broken body into the car. An obscured figure with her head wrapped in bandages and wearing a trench coat watches from a nearby rooftop. Later, Poison Ivy meets with someone to give them their half of the ransom money suggesting she wasn't the leader of this operation at all. Back at the Batcave, Alfred does what he can to patch Bruce up, but the damage is extensive. They need to come up with a cover story to explain Bruce's condition and settle on a car accident, but they still need a surgeon to repair him. Though he can hardly move, he starts tapping his fingers in Morse code that Alfred deciphers to the name Thomas Elliot. Thomas is a brilliant brain surgeon flown in from Philly and an old childhood friend of Bruce. We see a gorgeous... Watercolor painted flashback of the two playing some kind of chess-like strategy game with Martha and Thomas Wayne overlooking Happy Their Son has finally found a best friend. In the present, our trench-coated voyeur reads the paper and uses a batarang to cut the picture of a recovering Bruce out of the front page.
1: That is Batman 609. You you skipped over uh, a couple of really important things. Um, oh, well, um... let me know. Yeah. Batman's very magical suit that you can stand on. You can stand on his chest, you can touch the cape, you can put your hands anywhere, but if you get them near the cowl, you'll get sometimes an electric shock that only goes outward. Cool. Sometimes
0: a poison gas. Yeah.
1: Yeah, a, a sort of a stink gas uh, yeah. seems to be. That sort of seems to electrocute him as well. And then also the five-page uh huntress kicking ass sequence is uh has voiceover from batman throughout it just talking about like how she's just she's got too much rage and she couldn't possibly like she would be great if she was more like me just like the most oh no uh, i've i've no that's not that's not what she says
0: i wrote the fucking quote down thank you this is a professional podcast that you're on (laughs) after all we've been through she still fights for my life so much rage not sure i ever saw it before she's better than she knows but wastes too much energy proving it so much like i was when i started out no wonder the others haven't accepted her i need to talk to dick i need to i presumably we're thinking like get her closer into the family give her some more training but bruce is on the verge of passing out
1: well this this that quote really feeds into the quote i'm going to bring up later of like how absolutely condescending bruce is and what a gross power dynamic he has with everyone
0: yeah, yeah. Uh there there was there was a book that came out, I want to say like 2003, 2004ish. I read it when I was a freshman in high school, freshman year 2004. That was when I like really got into comics, like I'd grabbed like random Spider-Mans and random X-Men's like I remember the onslaught, but I never remembered how that story went cuz I couldn't mm-hmm. find the next issue at the grocery store. But 2004 is when I started going to the comic shop every week. And uh, I was just such a nerd. I was really into like film and film theory. And I found this book called The Man from Krypton. And mm-hmm. it was a series of essays written all about Superman, who was a character, frankly, I never gave a shit about really before I read that book. And uh, there's one chapter that was like talking about him being Superman and how that's like a direct translation of Ubermensch, like the the Frederick Nietzsche thing. And I they were talking them. about it
1: yeah the man into superman like the man from ape to superman thing yeah
0: and it's just yeah. like a man is a thing to be overcome right that was yeah. like the, the big thing and you're talking about it, it's like actually fucking superman is not the ubermensch fucking batman is the ubermensch like he is the person who has elevated himself beyond the normal constraints of humanity and become beyond um
1: yeah well this is the the interesting thing in uh in this is, like, how aware Alfred is of that. Because, you know, I, I think it's the same book of essays, if, if I'm thinking of the same one. um Is it the one that's, like, a collection of essays by different people? Yeah. Uh, all yeah. about
0: d- different the, interpretations of Superman across different mediums. Like, there's a Smallville one, 1978 the Superman movie one. Yeah, all that shit.
1: And there's the Umberto Eco uh, uh, essay in there about how, like, any step toward progress is a step toward death. Mm-hmm. And in, in, in Hush, when Alfred is first, like, thinking about who Bruce is he says like like when his parents like he didn't he didn't find common different than he got like he, like I, I can't remember the exact quoting but essentially it's like he became frozen as that boy wanting revenge and that is that is the thing Superman can die Batman can never die and I know we've had the death of Batman that's not what I'm not being literal yeah. Batman can never die because Batman has never grown up Batman is it like Batman has become the Ubermensch by being not beyond man, but never entering the role of being man because he is still frozen in an idealistic form of what a man could be, an by, action figure. By a that. child, yeah. Yeah. You know, then you think about like the Batman Beyond episode where uh, where Terry McGinnis gets unmasked and they have that thing that can like recreate people's memories. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, they put it on the kid and it just projects it as like his favorite action figure because that's who he saw Batman to be. But that's who Batman sees himself to be.
0: think we got a little deeper than uh the writers of hush maybe intended. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but look, I think I think like look, I think that Jeff Loeb is off his game on this. I think that uh Long Halloween and Dark Victory are absolute masterpieces. I think the film Commando is what it is. Um I think Superman for <laughs> All seasons is amazing, but I think that like here he's flailing a little bit and he's trying to sort of I don't think I don't think a monthly part of continuity title is where he's at his strongest in the same way that like did he did he write some Supergirl later on that sucked he he
0: did superman batman with ed mcginnis and then michael right. turner and then that and was like was where th- that was where supergirl was reintroduced to dc continuity
1: right and it was just a really terrible rehashing of the superman animated series storyline with supergirl
0: yes it, but yes i think this time with dark side
1: yeah there's a lot of stuff with Jeff Loeb where it sort of feels like um, he's saying, "Wait, didn't didn't it have Dark Side in the Superman animated series? Didn't Granny Goodness come into that? Or did they I, try I honestly
0: see? can't remember. I haven't seen Superman animated series in a few years. I might
1: be, I might be mixing up animated things. So I know they did an animated, movie they did movie, do an animated movie but, of it. Yeah, but I, I often feel with with Jeff Loeb that he's like. Hey, there's this, it's like people who really want to sing karaoke versus people who really want to like write music. There are people, we all know what it feels like when we hear a song we love that catches like the feelings that we have. And we're like, you know what, DeFranco's superhero. I think I should sing that. Uh, I'm just going to do it on my own because no one should hear it. But like, I do feel like I could really nail that one. And I feel like Jeff Loeb is doing that all of the time, but unfortunately he's being paid to do it and so when he's good when he's doing his own like actual interpretation long halloween dark victory for all seasons it's fantastic oh that and and marvel work too
0: right like you got daredevil yellow you got hulk gray captain america white spider-man blue all those books like i consider those like chapter zero for getting into a character like he's so good at distilling like the the bare essence like okay If you could say three important things about this character, how do you say those three things in the most impactful,
1: meaningful way? And I think Jeff Loeb is so fucking talented at that. He absolutely is. But then when you give him something like this, or when you have him as like the story consultant on a show like Heroes, it very clearly becomes like, I see, you wish you'd done Watchmen. I I get it, but you didn't. So you don't get to do it now. Mm -hmm. You don't get to do a warmed over version of Watchmen. And you, like I don't know I don't know what hush is meant to be. It sort of feels like you know when you say like it's it's Batman grown up. It's Batman serious. Whatever it's Batman. Like it's it's you know adult content, not adult content. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, it sort of feels like for kids who have grown into adults after watching the animated shows, because it's the Batman of the animated shows. That's why Superman's there. That's why Harley's there. That's why That's... Poison Ivy is there. And, like, rely, Here's here's a big thing, and I know we're not at this issue yet, but... Um, Poison Ivy puts kryptonite in her lipstick so that she can control Superman. Breezing mm-hmm. past the fact that she still had to fucking get Superman to kiss her. Now, yeah. No one questions it. Yeah. And, like, no, no tea, no shade. Like, if he's got an open thing with Lois. It's absolutely fine. But, like, he knows who she is. And he can move fast enough to avoid them smackers. Mm-hmm. Anyway, well, let's jump back to six 9 Let's jump back to
0: 609. Um, so that person that I mentioned, um, the, the trench-coated voyeur, uh, mm-hmm. over overlooks all these different scenes. Every time they speak or, like, have, like, their own narration, uh, it's a different quote. Uh, first time they speak, without friends, no one would choose to live, though he had all other goods. And then later in this issue, we make war that we may live in peace. These are both quotes by Aristotle. Mm-hmm. And I think this is really fucking annoying. This is one of my least favorite things that writers do. And I think the example that I've used before on this podcast, did you ever see a movie called Never Back Down? No. Okay. It's basically if the karate kid and the OC had a baby. Okay. So I'm watching that tomorrow. (laughs) I think it's a fucking great movie. But uh, it's one of those things where it's like a a high schooler moves to a new town, uh, fish out of water story, all this shit. Uh, but man, when he's in English class, let me tell you how much the lessons he learns in English class directly relate to what he's going through in his own personal life. And Mm -hmm. I don't know if this is necessarily bad writing. I don't even want to call it lazy writing because this could just be like a character of motivation, but like, it just like when it's so fucking on the nose, it's like in Drive, that movie Drive, that Ryan Gosling movie, Mm -hmm. when he's like a really nice guy you know, it's a Carrie Mulligan's kid, and that song "Hero," a real human being, plays in the background. I'm like, could, like, do, 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 I love this song. Did you have to be so
1: fucking obvious with the music selection? Sure, I think that like I kind of give it a pass a lot of the time with um with teenagers, uh, in in film and TV because I think that when you like like how I feel about Andy Franco's superhero, whenever I have a breakup, um, I think that teenagers. <laughs> like they get imprinted like whatever they're reading in English class is going to the like holy shit this is just like every fight I've ever had with my parents Mm -hmm. you know And like it just it does actually imprint um I think it's clumsy as a storytelling device but 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 I'm sort of okay like like I'm okay with Drew Barrymore and Donnie Darko like talking about wanting to burn the world down you know that's that's sort of fine i mm-hmm. don't think it's fine when adults are quoting things i don't think it's fine when jeff Loeb is saying i wish i'd written aristotle also george when you um when you're overseeing like a big plan that you're doing like you're you're when you're in your kind of superhero mode a super villain mode and you don't want anyone to know who you are do you um do it atop a uh like a, a a clothing section at, at walmart
0: exclusively yeah like um,
1: you you find the george section you stand next to the sign george
0: yeah well i mean i've got to you know I, i'm one i'm budget-minded so i do shop the george brand at walmart uh two um i love clues i love <laughs> i love i love dancing so close to the truth that everyone feels like a fucking idiot when i reveal it in the third act
1: because here's the thing, I had not remembered anything about this book. Then I re- then and like honestly, I still don't remember exactly how this plays out. I just know what it's sort of connected to at this mm-hmm. point.
0: Man, uh, I double checked. The version that I read was the trade paperback from 2022, so from okay. last year. And goddamn, do they just give it away on the cover of that book? You have a different version.
1: I have a different cover. Okay, you what's your cover? cover?
0: Um. God, do I want to cut this out? I'll I'll, I'll, I'll tell you after. Um, okay. Don't want to give too many things away.
1: Well, tell tell me on the next episode once we've once we well, once of- we get there. Yeah, okay, we'll do.
0: Uh, Batman six ten came out December 26, two thousand two. Chapter three, the beast. Batman interrogates Croc at Arkham Asylum and gets nowhere. He manages to break his confinements to knock out Batman and escape, but it was all a ploy by Batman and Amanda Waller, hoping that Croc will lead them back to whomever hired him. Thomas Elliot visits Wayne Manor, but finds no Bruce. We get another painted flashback to the last time Thomas Elliot knocked on Wayne Manor in the rain. He was just a boy and his parents had been in a car accident. His mother survived, but his father sadly did not, despite Dr. Thomas Wayne's best efforts and young Bruce's promise. Chasing down Killer Croc, Batman only has so much time before Waller intervenes. The Batmobile's front tire explodes, and Bruce knows it wasn't a blowout. Someone very good at their job is trying to keep him from finding Croc. At Poison Ivy's rooftop greenhouse, Catwoman is found upon by Croc, but Batman is close behind. A three-way fight breaks out, but Batman manages to de-escalate Croc before things get too crazy until Waller jumps the gun on her promise to stay out of it and sends in an attacked helicopter squadron. Those helicopters rile up Croc, but manage to subdue, subdue him. Batman and Catwoman both feel used and decide to work together to track down Poison Ivy and get to the bottom of this mystery. And then they kiss.
1: Then they kiss. Then they kiss. Okay. So, I mean, okay, look. Batman is like, he makes sure that Croc can get out and he's doing his whole plan. And then he does the voiceover. It was like, obviously no one was going to get hurt there. Hey Batman, like you have said repeatedly, you don't know how why Croc is behaving the way he is, and that he's mutated, he's more savage than man at this point. And then you're like, "But I know exactly how punching he'll be." Like it's it's just garbage storytelling. From he, he
0: even has and that I, line. He's like, "Oh, the guards—they'll get double hazard pay for this." <laughs> like,
1: oh my god! <laughs> oh my god! Like I mean, cool, I guess, but like double hazard pay probably like i don't know hey george how much do i have to pay to punch you you know like don't make people think that way how how many push-ups have you done in the last year i mean like there's a solid chance i've done like three at points as sort of a joke but i'm not sure if i've completed any of them Uh, okay
0: fourteen dollars then the answer is fourteen dollars fourteen dollars u.s (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> my husband keeps getting uh, offended when i refer to my kickstarter by how many real dollars i've made as opposed to canadian dollars i mean i'm not gonna
0: lie uh when i was doing math so like i backed at the canadian price and then i was like i think i added on like an additional bonus or whatever because i was trying to get it's like an even number and just doing like the math to figure out how many canadian dollars i had to to add on to get it to like a nice even american dollar i was like okay like it 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 took me like an extra 45 seconds an extra minute of just like typing in numbers seeing what the total was it's was like okay so like maybe maybe i add maybe i add 11 dollars maybe maybe i add four, 14 dollars
1: like we call our dollars loonies up there it's insane that's
0: cute though i like loonies i like toonies as someone who spent a lot of time at montreal strip clubs um
1: you like throwing coins at strippers?
0: I did not throw coins, but okay. I thought it was i thought it was really cute when I heard for the very first time in my life. I was like, oh, yeah, wait, is, is there like a dollar bill? And they're like, no, we only got coins. I was like, oh, you got dollar coins? They're like, we call them loonies. I was like, I'm not throwing a coin on a stage. <laughs> I'm, my, I'm not, I'm not going to be that guy.
1: I went into a uh, a Vancouver strip club uh, relatively recently, and they had a, a, a kind of chalkboard. Where they'd drawn a picture of a sexy lady. And oh, she was cool. sort of arched backward. Yeah, it was sweet. Uh, some 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 of them big old titties that you see in the pictures. And she had her, her titties were sort of pointing up and outward, sideways. So you could see her face smiling down at you. And her um her, her vagina was on full display, but it cut a hole out, sort of glory hole style. And you could you could try and flick a coin through it to win a win a prize. And the it said above it. Put a loony in the poony. I was <laughs> <laughs> like, okay. So we found the most Canadian thing that's ever existed.
0: I've written for several uh, like national and international brands as a professional advertising copywriter. I've never written anything as cool or as funny as "Put a loony in the poony.
1: <laughs> <laughs> like. I I often think about about your job. I don't know if you ever get to do like tagline stuff for like TV or movies or stuff with your your things, but like if you ever do, I want you to know that you will never live up to the two greatest taglines of all time that came out the same year and were about the same topic, but for different movies. And that is uh, Dante's Peak, The Coast is Toast, and (laughs) Volcano Exploding Soon. (laughs) <laughs> Not even erupting soon. Like <laughs> no. no. I mean if he's, if he's, if you've he's seen the movie, it makes perfect sense. So so Batman gets jingle bells and uh, has to explain how his tires work, which is very exciting for everyone. Okay, it's but, like, probably.
0: okay, you're, you're making a joke. He explains that, like, his tires are, like, reinforced with Kevlar. It's the same thing that's done in, like, the presidential arcade. And, like, it's little moments like that where I'm talking about, like, this is, like, a, a maturation point of, of comics, right? Where we're taking concepts that, like, really exist in real life and coming up with their equivalent or their exactness, I guess, in this case, in comics. Where, like, it really is, it feels... I don't want to say more scientific because that's that's disingenuous, but like the fact that like there is like a real world equivalent where like, oh, fuck, the Batmobile's tires are the same thing on like the, the presidential motorcade
1: like that's. Yeah, but they call it, they call it an arcade, not a motorcade, which is very weird. Like there's there's I don't know. It's like they're trying, but also. Well, they were
0: only on yes, season three of the West Wing, so I don't think a lot of the parlance was uh, widely available yet.
1: Me? Yeah, that's, true. that's OK. Fair. Yeah. Um, also, I was making a joke, but I made a much better joke a second earlier when I said that Batman got Jingle Bells, and I'm really proud of that. Yeah, no, he took me back to kindergarten with that one, that was good shit. <laughs> um, so, okay, as someone who is relatively new to, to the Batman comics at this point, don't Batman and Selina kiss a lot? Like, had it really taken them this long to just kiss? It hadn't
0: taken them this long to kiss. There was a line in Batman 608 where Batman's like chasing Catwoman. And he says, it seems like every step we take towards each other, we only get further apart. So like, it seems like this is like a dance they've done a thousand times where they play cat and mouse, pardon the pun. um, But just like, you know, the actual chase, but it seems like, especially with the next issue and the issue after uh, this is like Batman, like seriously considering it as opposed to it just being like a, a cliffhanger Romantic
1: right. tryst So again it feels like a grown up Version like of more mature yeah. But specifically The animated series where they definitely Kiss a lot mm-hmm. So I don't know It just like <laughs> If you were 16 year old Richard 17 year old Richard uh, Who does Batman kiss most I'd be like Catwoman obviously mm-hmm. Like I, I was very confused by that Then I was, I'm still very confused by it now Well, he's
0: got this line that closes at the issue that says, criminals by nature are a cowardly and superstitious lot. To instill fear into their hearts, I became a bat, a monster of the night. And in doing so, have I become the very thing that all monsters become? Alone? Mm -hmm. Hashtag deep. Um, But like that, just like the the level of like self-analysis there, I guess, is kind of impressive for like a mainstream blockbuster comic. And like, this is... Like, we're talking about Batman Hush. Like, it, it happened in, like, the Batman solo title. Mm-hmm. But for all intents and purposes, this is basically just, like, an event comic with no tie-ins, right? Like, the yeah. scope of this story, the corners of the DC universe that it touches, it, it, it gets crazier, it gets weirder. But, like, this is supposed to be, like, a fucking popcorn-style uh, comic book event. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's why it's written like it's baby's first Batman comic.
1: Okay, but I'm I'm actually asking you very genuinely. Like, so in the main main Batman through line continuity, mm-hmm. had they really not kissed before? Because oh no, emotional they responses. no they they
0: had they had at this point for sure. Okay, so
1: that's weird. Well, it's I weird. I read this on the same day that I watched the that '90s show episode about her getting her first kiss, and and like a lot of the themes were the same.
0: Yeah, and it's like, oh, wow, Batman is incredibly relatable to this uh, recently turned 15-year-old girl trying to kiss the guy at uh, she the, the, turned the, 15 the, the Froyo before stand. Before. Oh, that was before her birthday?
1: Yeah, it was the episode before the 15th birthday. Two episodes before the 15th birthday episode.
0: I think that was one of the weirder parts of that show, is that they made the kids like 14 and 15. And then, like, I, I went back and watched, like, the first season of that 70s show, and they were all, like, 17, 18.
1: Yeah, but, like, that 70s show is weird because, like, season like 10 or whatever ends with 1980 but season one starts like or halfway through has star wars oh yeah so no i i, I double checked i dude i fell down
0: a rabbit hole i am currently on season three of that 70s show i'm going through it trying to like what was it about the show that like really had 14 year old george hooked and the entire yeah. show takes place over eight seasons but uh only the scope of four years and like they pointed out continuity errors where they're like oh there's Five Christmas episodes over this but like the entire show takes place between 1977
1: and 1980 now I I liked that 70s show enough as a 13 year old I think when I started that I literally drew the logo of it on my bedroom door in a sharpie
0: that's commitment yeah
1: yeah like like full like and I mean like the logo of like the full old 70s TV with the wiggly static lines and the title on it Took out like the top third of my door. I was like, that's, that's my identity now. I like that 70s <laughs> show. I like that 70s show and and albums by Live.
0: Yeah, and the, you know that song in the meantime by Space Hog? That's my fucking jam.
1: <laughs> this is also, that that is the same year that I had to make the very tough choice. Do I buy Hellbilly Deluxe by Rob Zombie or do I buy Devil Without a Cause by Kid Rock? And the Devil Without a Cause came with a free t-shirt.
0: Well, I mean, you at heart were always bawa da bawa. Um, so we're
1: going platinum.
0: <laughs> uh, wait, did that Rob Zombie one? Did that have uh, more human than human?
1: It's the one that has like Living Dead Girl and Dragula, but okay. not the cool Matrix remix. Okay. Yeah. I returned the Kid Rock album and exchanged it for Powerman Five Thousands invite The stars Revolt. But you kept the T-shirt. Nice. I did <laughs> keep the T-shirt. You yes. came out ahead. I also I also lined up at midnight to get garbage version 2.0 so I could get the free lighter. Um, but you had to fill it with your own gas and then it had like a little flint that you take out and, and light yourself from the lighter, which was uh, never worked. Never worked even once.
0: Wait, was it a Zippo or like a
1: Bic? No, it, it, no, neither. It was this weird, like, it was a little metal canister and it had a little screw top thing. And mm-hmm. then it had like a flint coming off the bottom of it with a little rag on it. And you had to like strike the flint on the side of the lighter like a match, and you were meant to put your own whatever lighter fluid in there. So like Didn't a it, fuck,
0: it, is that like a fucking Indiana Jones lighter from the thirties?
1: Yeah, like like, like it, it was it was very confusing. Okay. Like by the way, even you know, cigarette lighters were invented before matches.
0: That makes sense because like I I know like the uh the white lighter being bad luck thing like oh the 27 club no actually it started back in world war one where the lighters they issued to soldiers were white and had like a phosphorus light or whatever and it was always really dangerous because you'd be smoking on the trench and like the light from the flame would reflect the the white light tur itself and then like give away your position to enemy snipers and that's why oh. white lighters were actually bad luck and Ooh, then I kurt cobain that. and aretha franklin and all, all, all those people died with was it yeah, no I mean, Janis Joplin? Sorry, not not Aretha Franklin. Janis Joplin.
1: Sorry, but there, I'm um, the um, the Museum of Death used to be down the street from me, and they had the shoes Kurt Cobain died in as one of their displays, and I was like, Jesus. I thought that was uh, Jesus, Christ. sort of tasteless. Yeah, it's not, it's not what you want.
0: How much money do you think Courtney uh, Love made by selling those shoes to Museum of Death?
1: I don't think she made any money from that. I don't. Th- I think that based on the history of people breaking into her place and stealing Kurt's clothes, uh, I would. I would say that was where those came from.
0: Oh, good. No, like, it's, well, speaking of Indiana Jones, like it belongs in a museum.
1: <laughs> I, it's it's the Simpsons thing of like that's the suit that Charlie Chaplin was buried in. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so so they do their kissing fine they have their fight fine um it, it's another moment where batman is like he knows the Catwoman was the person who took the money and then he wonders to himself who was it who was there who took the money mm-hmm. there's just constant rehashing of batman forgetting things but i guess he's had a head injury oh um, yeah
0: his big skull fracture took a took a chunk out of his brain yeah uh, all so,
1: that surgery was done without shaking his head which i thought was pretty interesting yeah and i didn't know that's
0: those- how they did that <laughs> yeah
1: no swelling no scarring nothing he's good to go it's fucking batman what can you do um now is it is this the issue where oh no no, no it's the opera issue where he wears the wrong cowl.
0: yeah we're, we're, we're getting there um next up batman 611 chapter four the city this came out january 22nd 2003 happy new year richard bruce wayne are...
1: just bought my tickets for my first count and crows concert About to start college
0: um, yeah, halfway through sixth grade, still hadn't kissed anyone yet. We'll get there. It's fine. Bruce <laughs> Wayne. You. you will. Yeah, you will. no, you, you it. You're, you're a great guy. It's going to happen. Just... <laughs> <laughs> Bruce Wayne arrives in Metropolis and replays The Night Before in his head when he kissed Catwoman. At the airport, he bums into, of all people, Dr. Thomas Elliott, the surgeon who saved his life. They recalled. Visiting Metropolis when they were young and saw Alan Scott, the Golden Age Green Lantern, fighting a villain called the Icicle in the gorgeous flashback watercolors. Dr. Thomas holds Bruce to a promise that he'll come to a follow-up appointment and play that chess-like game they enjoyed so much as kids. Bruce goes to the Daily Planet, a newspaper he currently owns, and surprises Lois and Clark. That's Lois landing Clark Kent. I don't know if he... I don't know if we mentioned them full names before on this podcast. He uses Lois's computer to track down the manufacturer of a chemical tied to poison ivy. That's you such know? a weird, like that's that's such a like. It's <laughs> okay, such I'm... a it's such a power move. Like, can you imagine going like I? I feel like I did this shit, but again, I was in sixth grade where like you'd go over to a friend's house, like, "Oh hey, can I see your computer for a second? I just got I, I, I just got to check my email." <laughs>
1: like, but, <laughs> yeah, but also like okay, it's pre-smartphone. I get it, but like it's so weird that he's like, "Look, I own this newspaper." But I also, I need to leave no trace of this. Let me get on your work computer. Like, as someone who made a solid amount of money as an 11-year-old, going to my dad's office and downloading porn and printing it on his work computer, thinking I wouldn't get caught, I can tell you this plan is not going to go well.
0: No, it's cool. He messaged O to secure the line. So it was a secure line at, you know, one of the most distinguished newspapers in the history of the world.
1: (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh there's light playful flirtation between Bruce and Lois in front of the staff of the paper but Lois knows Bruce's secret and gives Clark a gentle reminder that even though they're different they are friends. Bruce follows up his chemical hunch to Talia al Ghul the current CEO of LexCorp and ex-lover of his. Now at this point in the comics uh Lex Luthor uh became president of the United States president Lex And um, he did what you're supposed to do when you become president, and that is divest yourself of financial interests. So he put Talia al-Ghul, the daughter of Ra's al-Ghul, in charge of, of his company so he could be president and there wouldn't be a scandal. I just want to remind people that that's what you're supposed to do.
1: I mean, I think it's all they do make the point that Lex Luthor is a criminal, and so they're, they're, they've really ramped up their uh, weapons production and sales. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. All the, yeah, it's like still the number
0: one men, weapons manufacturer for the U.S. military. Who saw that coming? Yeah,
1: and uh, and because uh, as I've pointed out before, this is just a big a big karaoke version of the animated series. We do have to pronounce his name, Ray Shell Gold. Okay, um, yeah, in honor of the show.
0: Yeah, that's that's fair. He gets Just the in-
1: garbage <laughs> right, <writing>. garbage <laughs> right. Oh my god, like the fact that Lois and Clark have to tell each other they're married so the audience knows. Jesus fucking Christ.
0: He gets the info he needs on this rare chemical that's necessary to care for a very specific type of plant that poison ivy has been growing. He meets up with Selena, who starts beating the shit out of ivy until Bruce's worst nightmare comes true. Superman appears and is under poison ivy's
1: control. Because they've been kissing
0: get this old, old smooch ruskies yeah
1: mm-hmm. smooch and superman um when we get to the end of issue of the, of the sixth issue of this i'm going to tell you how i would fix this story as a writer
0: okay but, can't wait
1: yeah um this this issue is all set up this issue is all uh, kind
0: of fish out of water like bruce and both selena too mentioned how uncomfortable they are in metropolis and he's just like batman has no reason to be here but bruce wayne has financial interests so i'm going there as as Bruce Wayne as like a cover story again super convenient that he meets up with Thomas Elliot um, should almost write that down at this point that like oh he keeps bumping into him at all these places mm-hmm. um, and then Selina has one line when uh, she meets up with with Bruce later in the comic before they track down Poison Ivy does it ever get dark in the city even at night it's lit up like it's important or something
1: <laughs>
0: and so just yeah. talking about how uncomfortable they are out of uh, out of Gotham
1: Yeah. now this is Oh, no, we're... we're No, it's the next issue that has the all of the lines that make me mad. Okay. Yep.
0: You want to just jump into that issue?
1: Just jump into it. Because, like, it is just set up. There's nothing. There's nothing in this issue. Like, Lois sits in a weird way because it's a Jim Lee comic. But, like, I don't know. I'm glad they told us it was Lois because the design tells us that it's a brunette character. Because she doesn't have a costume. So how the fuck else could we tell? <laughs> There's one line before we
0: move on to the next issue that i i do like in this where uh he does talk about perry and like you're talking like oh he's there just oh yeah fucking because but he talks about perry saying like yeah perry obviously knows that clark kent is superman he's too good of a journalist not to
1: yeah i actually i like i i reading this again this week I, i thought oh i forgot that line was from hush um, I have remembered that line a lot when I think about Perry White, because again, big Crotcher and Lane Smith, I think about Perry White, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. the dark times. And, um, you know, that, that like the, the, the brilliance that is Perry White is so interesting. And it's why I get so mad at Perry White in uh, Smallville and how he's just shown this as a sad failure.
0: I never made it to the Metropolis episode of Smallville. I recently started rewatching
1: Smallville and I'm on like season three, so I'm excited to get there. He shows up before Metropolis, he comes to Smallville. as like a sad failing drunk i don't even think he's in the metropolis stuff
0: oh that's interesting i i like just got to like the end of season two which i think we're about to get into like the witch era right like the weird magic shit that lana does yeah i'm not looking forward to that 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 that's where i jumped off the first time
1: at some point, we're, we're not on a on a recorded uh, thing. You and I are never not on a recorded thing. It turns out because of the the social circle we keep. But um, remind me at some point, and I'll I'll tell you about my um, history with a, a certain person from from Smallville and a, and a an effort to get me to join their sex cult. All right. Pretty fucking excited. Because, to because they, watched <laughs> me at a con- they watched me at a convention and and realized what a good salesman I was and how convincing I could be. Oh,
0: Jesus Christ, that's terrifying. Um, Batman yep. 612, Chapter 5, The Battle. Came out February 26, 2003. Uh, Bruce has no time to think. He and Catwoman immediately jump into the water to escape Superman, who's already fighting off Ivy's influence. She doubles down and re-ups her control over him. Bat and Cat escape into a series of lead-lined sewer tunnels, courtesy of Lex Luthor. They devise a plan that seems rocky until Batman pulls out a kryptonite ring. Catwoman scampers off to fulfill her part of the plan, and before long, Superman finds Batman in the tunnels, and an all-out brawl erupts. Batman tells Clark that he's pulled a gas main loose, so that if he uses even a spark of his heat vision, the entire block goes up. Batman punches him repeatedly with a kryptonite ring, but he's on the verge of breaking his hand. Batman lines himself up to dodge a punch that lands Superman square on one of the city's electrical mains, effectively shocking him with the power of the entire city, stunning him long enough for Batman to escape to the surface. Once topside Batman tells Soups, he can either fight him or save her and points up to a Catwoman who's holding Lois on the edge of the Daily Planet. Struggling to break free, Lois ends up falling towards the street and his shock of seeing his wife plummet uh, convinces Superman into action and into his old self. Now all on the same side, bats, cats, and soups recruit a member of the superfamily to help track down Poison Ivy, Crypto the Superdog. Catwoman knocks Poison Ivy out with one punch, and she's taken away by Metropolis Special Crimes Unit to be extradited to Gotham for crimes committed there. Superman is thankful to Bruce, and says he's glad he gave the kryptonite ring to
1: the right person. Okay. Firstly, hey Poison Ivy, just kiss the fucking dog. Like we've all had a dog with her face. It's actually not that big a deal. Just kiss the dog, control <laughs> the dog. It's just that's just stupid. Okay. Um the the inherent misogyny of you used my wife as a prop to throw off a building to like to to make me switch back. I trusted you, Clark. Yeah, but still. Like, don't worry, Lois is just a prop. It's fine. It's absolutely fine. Um the eye burst of gas main, so that you can't use your supervision and Superman is not like I have super hearing and super smell, but sure, I guess you definitely are telling the truth. Um, or like, I can't feel the difference in the air. Like, Superman can see radio waves. But he's, like, but how- yeah, but he's, he's fucking la la because of them kisses from that plant lady. Yeah, because he was kissing the plant lady. Um, do you think Superman makes that with Swamp Thing?
0: Do I think Superman makes that with Swamp Thing?
1: Yeah, like, do you think this like like just a plant thing for him? I don't, I don't think so. I think Alec Holland. Okay, if, I, if I ever get to write the comics,
0: I think Alec Holland's got like a little too much on his plate to wonder like, hmm, how high up the DC hierarchy could I could I smooch? <laughs> like, like who's the most important character I could kiss, and it's it's not weird.
1: That's that's actually, that should be, I would read that comic. Yeah,
0: that should be the comic. <laughs> it's, yeah. It's just like, high school, high school swamp thing, being like, how do I date the most popular kid in school?
1: <laughs> but no, it's just love and blind set in the watchtower. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, so there's, this is the issue where, like, oh, they jump in the water, okay, and they make all of the cats don't like water, she's mm-hmm. a person. This is also the issue where repeatedly, they, they refer to superman as you know he's faster than a oh never mind you know yeah uh it's such this womp womp comedy and it sucks it sucks absolute butt soup and i hate it again like i think
0: we're really aren't like going into the territory it's like this wasn't this comic wasn't written for comic fans this is written to turn people into comic fans where like it's taking like probably some of the most like well-known parts of the mythology and like as you pointed out like it was weird that hunter showed up and like probably should have been robin for this point to like really stick but just the idea of taking like culturally understood aphorisms that that have just permeated pop culture Mm -hmm. and like using that as like a hook to be like oh yeah i have oh yeah faster than a speeding bullet more powerful than like a locomotive like all this shit and just using that as like shorthand to pull in the non-comic fan
1: yeah and or i mean this is this is right at the point where tv shows and films are like executives are having meetings where they're saying how do we make it toyetic right mm-hmm. like that's when this is the time when that word was invented um maybe a little after but like you know it's when it's, it's big right this is a comic design for action figures because remember before this we hadn't really had action figures for comics. We had action figures for comic characters, but they weren't for storylines. Right. The Hush Toys really kicked that off.
0: I I own several of them. Yeah, because that was the I, they were still in stores in like two thousand four two thousand five when I started going to to the comic shop every week. And if there was like a light week where I only grabbed three books and I still had extra money to burn, I like I I owned the. Jim Lee Hush version of Batman. I own the Jim Lee Hush version of Joker. I own the Jim Lee Hush version of Harley Quinn because they were basically the only affordable statues for a teenager.
1: Can you get your Harley Quinn to actually stay standing up? No. Yeah, it's impossible.
0: No, it's can't get her guy. to stand up. Can barely get the Joker to stand up, and Batman always falls forward. Uh, thankfully yeah. that one, like they all came with stands, but yeah. like the peg broke off in the foot of Harley Quinn and Joker for whatever reason did not break off in the foot of Batman um so yeah that's the only
1: one that i can still get to stand up right i even with the peg in, i couldn't get even with the peg in, i couldn't is the title (laughs) of my next memoir um (laughs) even with the peg in, i couldn't i couldn't get harley to stay standing she would just always fall i could ever lean on her on her mallet sometimes Mm -hmm. but even then it was difficult joker was okay he'd always kind of tip forward but what i did love is that they made an alfred action figure oh yeah yeah that was great that made me so happy (laughs) Made him like, and and a Commissioner Gordon one too. Yeah, that's not as good. Like he's a cooler character than Alfred, but it's, it's like like my favorite action figures. I've got the Ninja Turtles when they're wearing their weird human skin masks from the first episode. I've got a Superintendent Chalmers, and I have Alfred.
0: Quite the collection you got there.
1: Yep. <laughs> <laughs> not to type... brag. Hey burglars, here's my. Well, yeah, address.
0: which one looks most like your husband?
1: Um. So here's the thing about the uh, the turtles with the gross human skin faces.
0: Yeah, like the like the um, like I I had the Donatello with like the trench coat and like the Gravio marks mask, right? With like the yeah. like like the borderline Ron Jeremy hair that like went out sideways.
1: No, like I, I'm gonna run and grab it, Robbie. Like four seconds. Okay. Uh, so I can show you and not the audience.
0: I'll take a screen grab for uh, social media purposes. oh no that's not the one i have
1: (laughs) this monstrosity that came out like two years ago with real cloth clothing that you can take off um is one of the most disgusting things in the world but when i got it uh it was sitting on my my desk and i was on a video call with my friend and he was like Hey, Do you remember that guy Tony used today? I was like, yeah, he's like, looks a lot like that turtle's toy, doesn't he? I was like, oh shit, it does. So yeah, this is this is my type. This oh, is okay. <laughs> it turns out this episode was really it, it was a uh, it awokens awakened something in me. Um <laughs> like even, even the choice of clothing and hat is so on um, brand. Um, no, my, my husband looks like an elderly elderly Ned Flanders. Oh, that's really sweet. Yeah. He's like if Robert Crumb and Morris Sandek went on a slide too fast together. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Uh,
0: yep. there, there are two quotes in this. I think this issue is really interesting. Cause like Jeff Loeb is like really struggling to, I guess, like highlight what makes Clark special versus what makes Batman special. And like Batman's like really self deprecating in this issue. Um, which I thought was interesting to, to revisit. He's talking to Catwoman And he's talking about Clark and says he's the best at what he does. And then Catwoman responds that's open to debate. I said he's the best at what he does, not at what I do. And that was like the full page spread where he pulls out the kryptonite ring. Mm -hmm. And then later in the comic he's narrating and he says if Clark wanted to, he could use his super speed and squish me into the cement. But I know how he thinks. Even more than the kryptonite he's got one big weakness. Deep down Clark's essentially a good person. And deep down, I'm not.
1: Yeah, that's some edgelord bullshit. Like yeah batman telling himself that he's the toughest boy in town always sucks like when batman acts on this stuff like um if you're again, i'm gonna talk about all-star batman and robin again because i don't know why for some reason I, no, I, i'm the only person in the world who thinks it's good um when batman has to fight green lantern so he just paints everything everything yellow, yellow. <laughs> awesome
0: <laughs> absolutely awesome that's some adam west shit right there yeah yeah
1: but it's animated shit. But it's but it's done by someone who's like, I've got to be very. It's it's very like Cormac McCarthy, like man walks and fills bathtub with water because he's so prepared for the apocalypse. Mm-hmm. Like it's but but the fact that it's a goofy activity is so perfect. But this like, I'm not a good person. It, it's very much you know you wouldn't like me when I'm hungry. It sucks. <laughs> uh,
0: have a Snickers. Yeah. um i think all things considered it's it's really tough right because obviously superman could wipe the floor with batman like that's yeah that's not a debate and so kind of figuring out a way for the two of them to fight where they can both save face and both be threatening to the other person and impressive to the audience i think look i i agree i try to be really positive on this show Again, I don't think this is a good Batman comic. I think this is, like, a borderline perfect first Batman comic for someone to Mm -hmm. read, right? Because it's just, like, this is paint-by-numbers Batman. This is, like, you get to see everything awesome about Batman. And then from there, you could just sort of figure out which part of Batman you like the most and then jump into a run that does that the best. Like, I I think this is great kindergarten level Batman. And I don't mean that disrespectfully, like you have to start somewhere, but like they did a good job despite the the writing. And like you said, the edgelord narration of figuring out a way for Batman to fight Superman in a plausible way where neither of them
1: were embarrassed. Sure. And I, I don't want to, I don't like this comic worked on me, you know, like I bought every issue. I bought the trades. I mm-hmm. bought all of the action figures. Mm-hmm. And I remember it really fondly, even though I don't remember it. I I continued buying Batman yeah. comics afterwards. I've read a lot of Batman since yeah, then. What's,
0: uh, sorry, what, what's that Maya Angelou quote? Like you can forget what people say, you can forget what people did, but you never forget how people made you feel.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's exactly that. It's like this is the, this is the Maya Angelou Batman story. <laughs> <laughs> I I, I, think agree. She, I think she'd really like that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's jump on to the next one. We got one more. Yeah, the finale
0: of part one. Yeah, <laughs> Don't worry, we already talked about 2002. We might talk a little bit about 2003 in the next episode. The next episode is going to go much faster. I'm going to give you a full rundown of how that Counting Crows concert went. <laughs> yeah, I want the set list. He played. No, he played. He played Mr. Jones twice. It was the encore too. Sha la 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 la.
1: I wish I didn't love that song so much. Oh ho this is here's the here's the real question how many versions of mr jones has richard owned on different cds versus how many different versions of hush has richard owned which is more oh it's got to be counting crows right only if you count um demos and live versions that i've downloaded okay yeah because like
0: uh, what's the, <laughs> the, the live version of anna begins is like one of the prettiest fucking things i've ever heard
1: From the the Across across the Wire? I think, yeah, yeah, yeah. God, that's a good album.
0: Yeah, that weird
1: weird thing where Val Kilmer introduces them for no reason? No,
0: it was for a perfect reason, because it was 1995. (laughs) That's such such a good reason.
1: (laughs) Before his head expanded. Uh,
0: I also, like, round here, uh, nothing will, like, stop me in my tracks faster than just, like, oh, fuck, this song's on. Um, Mm -hmm. I need to drive home because there's a giant snowstorm. However... I'm just going to sit here and smoke a cigarette and listen to this. Batman 613, Chapter 6, The Opera, March 26, 2003. Opting for a night of appearing normal, Bruce attends an opera fundraiser for Dr. Leslie Tompkins and her Park Row Clinic. She's the doctor who attended Bruce the night his parents were murdered, and he's understandably had a soft spot for her ever since. At the opera, he bumps into Dr. Thomas Elliott and Selina Kyle. The four sit together in a private box. Bruce feels conflicted. He knows that Selina is Catwoman. Leslie Tompkins knows that Bruce is Batman and Selina is Catwoman. Selina doesn't know that Bruce is Batman, and Thomas Elliott doesn't know a goddamn thing. The opera begins and it immediately goes off the rails when the clown Pagliacci reveals themselves to be none other, none other than Harley Quinn, Poison Ivy's now a strange crime partner, and at the time the Joker's girlfriend. She holds the entire audience hostage and begins robbing them, taking from Thomas Elliot a jade pendant gifted to him by his mother, a keepsake that means the world to him. In the confusion, Bruce manages to sneak off and change into his Batman costume. He begins attacking the gunmen in the orchestra pit, trying to contain them before things really get out of hand. Thanks to Batman's distraction, Selina manages to change into her Catwoman disguise and joins the fray just in time to rescue Batman from being executed by Harley. There's banter exchange and a ton of action on the stage. Everything is so grand and theatric, the audience actually thinks they're seeing a performance and not a superhero brawl. Harley gets the upper hand on Catwoman and Batman saves her instead of going after Harley. Leslie comes to attend Catwoman and Batman gives chase. Also giving chase is Thomas Elliot, desperately trying to get back his mother's jade pendant. Batman hears a gunshot and finds in the alley outside the opera house, a bleeding Thomas Elliot under a laughing Joker holding the smoking gun. Yep, this is true. All right, so... I think this is where it really does feel like, oh, we're just going to like shut up and play the hits. Right? Like We yep. can't have a Batman story without Joker.
1: How do you yep. feel about that? I... Look, I agree to put Joker in there. That's fine. I'll get to that later. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe it's because of how popular the Pagliacci joke has become of recent as, as in meme culture. But... Um, I that do was, like to imagine Harley Quinn in the doctor's office earlier that day.
0: Yeah, that I mean that was that was because of the Watchmen movie in two thousand nine.
1: Yeah, that that's fine, but it didn't play the same now. Um, <laughs> hard, hard to revisit. Yeah, but it's, it's, it's you know the, the way that Pagliacci has just become so popular in culture, it's hard to read this comic now. Um, <laughs> this this has like it's it's more of the same very bad dialogue there is the the i like the, harley just being her like i'm so wacky i'm so kooky everything i say is opposite is all bad until she says like people people in ice water want hell it's the only time they did the, the flip around where i really enjoy it mm-hmm. um it's the right kind of playful um the people watching it, thinking it must be part of the show, when they live in a fucking world of superheroes. Yeah, they live
0: in Gotham. Like they know, they know Batman as a as a construct in in
1: society. Yeah, yeah, it's all of that is just sort of pointless. Um, but you know, fine. Like there's no, there's no, there's no story here except another example of like if this were a horror movie and a child like the child version of Thomas Elliot responded to something in the way that he does to the, the pendant being taken from him by like attacking Bruce the same way that like when he was mad at Bruce, when his, his mother had died, he attacked him for lying to him. Like those would be dramatic moments where we're like, Oh, this child is the devil. I understand. Mm-hmm. But um you know, they don't, they, it's they, just like Bruce is oblivious to it. Also, like, the kid who knows how to see how other people think and plan their war games for their fake version of chess or whatever. Like, mm. I'm delighted that this is not about as a, a genius criminal mastermind who's very good at chess because I'm so sick of that. I would love to see, a, a like, a very serious film where the person was like, I don't know, good at Scrabble. Yes. <laughs> Like I, I'm I gonna, I'm gonna wordle my window. way. I'm gonna wordle my
0: way out of this. yeah
1: <laughs> <laughs> Like I'd love it if it was like the the villain was just doing all this clues with wordle, and then like the hero comes in and is like, fuck you. I play cordle every goddamn day. I can do four of these <laughs> things at a time.
0: You haven't learned anything from all those hours of us playing Bomberman '64, have you, Bruce? <laughs> <laughs>
1: Introducing my new hero, the Minesweeper. <laughs> yeah, Space Cadet Pinball. <laughs> Did you ever watch The Cape?
0: No, I didn't think that show looked particularly good. Was it worth watching?
1: Um, It's my favorite TV show that's ever been made because it ran for nine episodes and only seven of them aired. Um, and Richard Schiff plays the mayor who wishes he was a superhero, and that's amazing. Hey, Richard! Um, Schiff,
0: wait, Richard, like Toby from The West
1: Wing. Richard yeah. Schiff. Okay. Yeah. And he just keeps showing up to like to hang out with the cape and be like, "Hey, can I have an adventure too, please?" <laughs> yeah, let's let's go on a train and stop a robbery. That sounds pretty awesome. Um, there's bad guys who call themselves the Carnival of Crime who live in a carnival an abandoned carnival outside of town and no one can ever figure out what their secret hideout is even though they're called that. Uh, um the terrorist the, the bad guy in the show in the show is called the terrorist known as Chess and everyone always refers to him as the terrorist known as Chess. It's a it's a masterpiece. It is the worst TV show that's ever been made, but it opens with a man reading to his child and then you see that he's reading a comic book to his child because you know how comic books should be read aloud, but sure. they get four pages into the issue, and he's like, that's enough for tonight, son. Go to sleep.
0: Wait, sorry. That's the show that Abed is, like, super obsessed with on Community, right? Yes, Be- Before Dr. Spacetime? Did you watch it before Abed's Obsessions? Yes. You did? Yes. Okay.
1: Yes. Um, I was, I think I was six episodes in before Community started riffing Wow, so
0: that, that joke must
1: have hit you, like, especially hard. It was my favorite thing that had ever happened, because of that one. Because the whole thing with the cape is, it's, like, there's, Keith David says uh as as everyone knows there are 720 different tricks any magician can do with a cape um which boils down to he can mostly grab stuff from slightly further away <laughs> um which is pretty cool. it's 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 made of sli- it's made of spider silk. It's stronger than Kevlar but lighter than air. it's not. Um, there's a character in it called Gregor the Escapist, who's been in prison for a really long time, but then he escaped because of his name, and he can do card tricks. And then there's this bit where the Cape, uh, whose name I think is uh, Trip Faraday, um, great name, yeah. Um, he, if you're gonna have a, if you're gonna have a character who's good at escaping, call him Trip Faraday. That's actually a really good name for an escaping character. But anyway, uh, he finds all these people dead who had like. Been killed at a poker game and they've got uh playing cards and they're regular. And he goes up to Gregory the Escaper and he's like, um they were uh, all killed with playing cards. And you and I both know only a magician can do that. <laughs> it's so good. But none of it is a joke. None of it. Okay. Yeah. so I I'm not gonna lie, Richard,
0: bit. I'm probably not gonna watch it. Um but I, I have a spare copy of the DVD. If you need it, <laughs> yeah, I don't know if it's streaming anywhere. I might need that DVD copy to not watch it. Um, sorry, what did there's that have to do? Was, what did that have to do with this
1: part of, of Batman Hush?
0: <laughs>
1: I can't remember. Uh, but, it was, but it a, was but it was poignant. A, a, yeah, there was a thing I was I was flicking through to try and find in that in oh here it is it's the the line from Catwoman, um. He, he says lie still you need medical attention it's awful and then she says um, I know that come choose... closer
0: if you ever choose to rescue me again over catching the bad guy I swear I'll scratch your eyes out I'm not some kid you took in and trained yeah I wrote that one down too <laughs> yep.
1: and that is the best line in the entire book best line it's 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 like an absolute master class in how to let people know that Batman is fucking pervert
0: oh is that a genuine take
1: Yeah. Then he's a pervert. He is like, he's a, he's, he's, like he is grooming these kids to be playthings for him to date later. Like, this is not a comment on Robin, this is a comment on Batgirl. Oh! Hey, we've kissed now, but you need to treat me like an adult. Just because you think we're romantically involved doesn't mean you get to treat me like a child, like you would with anyone else that you have groomed to be part of your special weird bat family.
0: See, I also think that line is super dramatic because he's she's acting like Harley got away when like it's like an eight second head start of a 15 second head start down the hallway to escape out of the.
1: Sure. But she knows that that Batman would stay with her and nurse her back to health and like probably give her like a lollipop and take her to the, the, the circus or whatever. Um, Oh it's it's that's that's interesting. I I didn't think she was like implying that he was like grooming these
0: these kids or whatever. Like I I, I didn't get like I I can see how you got there to like the pervert where to call it the the, the PL, the pervert leap. But um (laughs) But no, I, I thought she just said that because like the Batman mythos is just so universal, you know, where it's just like, oh, he takes in these these underprivileged kids and turns them into C- criminal bashing girlfriend. heroes. He doesn't turn him into girlfriend. That was like one movie. That's the most like uncomfortable I've been in a theater in a minute too. Which is,
1: that can't be true. It's not one movie. It's 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 present in the animated series, which this is a sequel to. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's like it's it's hyper present in the animated series with Mask of the Phantasm, and then in Batman Beyond with how Commissioner Gordon treats him at that point as her ex. that girl um, isn't in Mask of the Phantasm. What's the what's the other animated movie?
0: Uh, there was the Killing Joke, which had like their relationship. No, no, no like
1: long before that, I'm sh- I'm sure Barbara Gordon. Had... One of Mi- there's
0: mystery of the Batwoman, but I don't think Barbara Gordon was in that one either.
1: Uh, Batman, conversation... Batman, Beyond,
0: Return of the
1: Joker, that one. No, before it's before that. It's it's Batman animated series. There's a conversation on a car phone between Nightwing and and Barbara, um, where there is like a a, a bitterness that like like she chose bruce over dick batman sub-zero maybe i don't know know. yeah well like that because
0: basically they tried to make the killing joke that sorry my accent came out they tried to make the killing joke uh basically like batman the animated series canon yeah like they try to they try to make it fit into that universe and like yeah she fucks bruce on a rooftop in that movie and it's really weird
1: yeah yeah everything about it is gross I think there's always an implication of it, but I think that with the way he talks about Huntress, I don't think, I think, I think Catwoman is kind of saying it. I think Jeff Loeb is super duper saying it. Okay. That's and really I think interesting. It's, it's, it's I think it's the best line in the entire book so far. And it's the, like, it's the one point where when you, when you've listened to Superhero by Honor Franco enough times, you know which bit you're going to do better. And that is what Jeff Loeb has done here
0: all right uh richard do you have any closing thoughts on the first six issues of batman hush um did you sorry did you read the entire series in in prep for this episode or just i didn't either i only read the first six issues so i'm actually like really excited because i'm pretty sure from here on out the story is a bit more gas
1: i want it to be a surprise i know it's something to do with Jason Todd but I can't really remember how it all works. Mm-hmm. I I know that we're meant to think Thomas Elliot is the villain, but I can't remember if he is or not honestly. Mm-hmm. Maybe he is, maybe uh, like this whole series sort of confuses me. Can I tell you how I would have made this better? It's really simple. Please, yeah. Superman shouldn't be in it. Um Batman should not go to Metropolis. There's absolutely no point in it. Uh Batman should try and figure out what's going on, go somewhere else in Gotham and then find that the Joker is under the control of of Poison Ivy because the Joker is an incredible fighter. He would be a match for Batman if he were not like distracted by his fun goofs. Mm-hmm. And... It would give a much stronger reason for Harley Quinn to be involved because she would be angry. She'd want to fight Batman, but she'd also be angry at uh, Ivy for like ki- kissing her boyfriend. Yeah. Yeah. And like taking control of him. And like, I'm I'm sure that the Joker has been controlled by Ivy at some point, but I've never seen it, and I think that would have been like a master stroke of storytelling. Think the the mind of the Joker, the like psychotic mind of the Joker, and how he would interpret the commands of Ivy, mm. and how violent he would become when you stripped away. Like Superman is able to be brought back because underneath it all, he's he wants to do good. The Joker, his subconscious would delight in doing this evil, and it could have been like just phenomenally cool and dark and would have still been playing with stuff that the animated series fans would have understood sure and like batman wouldn't have been
0: affected by the fact that it was joker like he would still feel like he's crazy he's he's doing all this but like it's not like this isn't the way he operates like right because like that was like one big point of contention where like he just like sort of manipulated clark's foundational persona but we don't know Joker's foundational persona. So that's like an added wrinkle of challenge. And then also just nice to see Bruce in like an element he doesn't entirely understand kind of takes away some of that Gary sue of of Batman.
1: Yeah. And it would have made it like, if he had been able to figure out, I don't know the solution to this part, but if he had been able to figure out what the, like what would have been the tell that, that Joker was under someone else's control um, would have been would have been a lot like like it would have been a real detective moment whereas Mm -hmm. jeff Lowe was trying to do detective moments by like being able to you know predict how long things will take to do and how hard punches are going to be and all of that like mathematical like sherlock bullshit and him actually noticing something and figuring it out from that like i mean it's still sherlock bullshit but it's you know sherlock bullshit by way of house md and that would have been far more satisfying to readers i think yeah. A theory action figure. See, but I think that would have been far more satisfying to
0: establish comic book readers who were already buying Batman. But again, like I think I think there was an editorial push to make this be expand beyond the traditional scope of of Batman readers to try to push it to people who oh yeah, I like Batman Returns. The Schumacher ones weren't that great, but yeah, Batman's cool. I liked him when I was nine. You know, like I, I think it was
1: pushing to that crowd a little bit more sure but like it's not like that was a big shift because superman appears in no man's land superman appears in like other batman stories relatively regularly um he flies in from a nearby city mm-hmm. um i don't think it's i it the superman stuff just felt really needless and a story that is moving this fast in a way that feels jarring um they could have cut out a lot of that travel time stuff. You don't need Thomas Elliot to be in Metropolis as well. You Having him at the opera would have been enough. Having him show up at the house and then at the opera would have been enough. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Plus, why was Superman covered in plants? Like, you why know. didn't he have green like leaves
0: growing around him? You know, because of Kissy reasons. And also that way they got to sell a different action figure. <laughs>
1: I mean, I guess God this I will say, as someone who like really hates the fact that Superman always gets a cool, like rubber, like sculpted cape mm-hmm. and Batman always gets a shitty cloth cape, yeah. The hush Batman is so good, yeah, it really is. yeah. yeah, and there's also like,
0: I think he does like a high altitude low orbit jump later. And so there's like one Batman figure from the hush series where he's like in basically a spacesuit,
1: oh maybe i didn't get all of them i thought i thought i had all of them i know that the superman is is flying with one of those cool like clear sticks yeah 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 god this was also the period where like i was collecting every bizarro action figure ever made so
0: is that who if you got to work at dc is that the character you want to tackle bizarro
1: um no if i could work at dc i'd have jimmy olsen kill himself um for never living up to anything no um if i i everyone always asks me this i have this this uh idea for a really we should talk about this at some point a podcast uh called what's your batman story oh that's um, fun everyone every time i ever take a meeting with like an agency or a manager or anyone or like at a, at a network the one of the first questions is always what would you do with batman because everyone has a batman story and i don't I have no idea what I would ever do with Batman. Like if I was, like I would do, like the fucking Riddler wandering around Gotham, coming up with clues. I guess I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the kind of shit that that intrigues me. But I think everyone does actually have their take on Batman, and I would love to hear people like what span like, have that space.
0: What's the likelihood though of like a working professional in the space actually sharing
1: their pitch? I think almost everyone knows that they're never going to get to actually use that pitch. And I think that a lot of people are very happy to tell that, you know, I, I have a, I have a friend uh, who has the, f- I, I think you'd also get a lot of funny pitches. Like I have a, a friend, uh, Max Isaacson, who has the greatest pitch for a Wolverine story ever. That's based. It is. I'm, I'm not going to say what it is on, you know, mm-hmm. on air, but like it's called for, and it's as a genius. Um, but like, obviously it would never get made except in some kind of weird, like wah-ha special. Yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> But I I think that I don't know. I like I would want to do a a a Bizarro version of uh, the the zoo at the Fortress of Solitude, just so I could have uh, a a Bizarro called Bizarro. Um, I don't know what he would do. Like, maybe he would like, maybe he'd be like a real sub and just take on other people's ideas all the time. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's like this this weird beta cuck Bizarro. (laughs)
0: <laughs> i'm not gonna lie richard i'd read that i like your art style enough to read that yeah for sure <laughs> i love that you're like
1: richard don't care what the writing is
0: I like your art style <laughs> well i just i like i'm like i i don't want to say it's not gonna work i trust you you're like a you're a really talented creator uh everything i've read of yours so far I've, I've really enjoyed i can't picture the story based off just that pitch i'm like at least i know I mean, it's gonna be pretty just
1: now so i don't have a lot for it yeah like I'm like, at least it's gonna like look really good that's cool Richard I would still enjoy seeing Poison Ivy kiss that dog. He <laughs> just giving crypto a nice little nice little smoosh. But like, okay, so Poison Ivy kisses the dog, but mm-hmm. she still only has the amount of control over the dog that a normal person would have over a relatively untrained dog. Relatively untrained. I feel
0: like that dog is like really close to like writing his own fucking plays, like on a typewriter. Like crypto is always tired. treated like a goddamn genius. Like, uh, like one of the most, like, emotionally deep characters whenever he appears in, in a
1: Superman comic. Sure. you No, you're right. I just, I saw the movie last week, so I think if Crypto oh. is like, the worst dog in the world. Oh, okay.
0: I did not see the movie. I want
1: to. It looked, it looked cute, but I haven't hung out with
0: my niece in a minute, and I don't know if I can watch that movie without uh, my, my niece. <laughs>
1: it's I think, so I good think she'd be upset. Superman's not in the story. It, like, when Superman's there, it's an amazing movie. When he leaves the story, because it has to be about the pets, it's fine. Falls off. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Uh, Richard this is part one of what's clearly going to be at least a two part conversation yeah. about Batman Hush. Um, you just launched your your memoir on Kickstarter you can find that on Kickstarter at www.kickrichard.com you can follow Richard on Twitter at Richard Fairgray. Gray uh, that's gray with an a not an e um dude thank you so much for coming on the show i'm really glad we got to talk we never get to talk about superheroes based on the spaces we're in we we get to talk about a lot about like theory but like we never get to joke about specific time periods specific vibes and fads we were into this has been an absolute delight i am already so excited to have you back to finish out the story any closing words for the listeners out there
1: um not for the listeners this is this is such narrow casting just for you but I solved the mystery of what the James Cameron 911 thing was. <laughs> That's all I'm going
0: to say. That we talked about in a space at four o'clock in the morning, both. I think that was the drunkest I've ever heard you speak. And yeah. that was the drunkest I've been in, like, the, probably the drunkest I've been not at a wedding. Like, yeah, I, I, I was pre- I was pretty gone that night.
1: Yeah. I, hey, hey, kids. Um, what, what cool adults do is they get drunk and go on Twitter spaces.
0: Yeah, they, they live in really remote, isolated places and connect with strangers on the internet. You I should do that. No, century. don't do that. Don't do that. There is a
1: marker. There is a marker outside my window to denote that this is the exact center of Hollywood. <laughs> and I was drunk on a Twitter space.
0: That's my old neighborhood. I miss living in Thai Town so much. I gained so much weight when I was living there.
1: Yeah, I just yeah. miss
0: Thai patio. God, their that their pad CU is like one of the best things I've ever had in my mouth.
1: You, if you like, I've had very good things in my mouth in my time, but um, if you're ever in LA at the same time as me, I have to take you to Love to Eat. It's the best Thai food in LA. Okay,
0: I'd love to do that, and then we can end the night at Jumbo's Clown Room just for old times' sake.
1: I only do Jumbo's Clown Room like early in the morning on a Wednesday. I feel like it's the best time.
0: Yeah. I mean, I'm not just going to be in LA for the weekend.
1: Like, that's... okay. But you said end the night. You mean stay up all night, like, like, like young people are able to do. Okay. Well, no,
0: because so you... when I lived there, that was the cheapest bar in the neighborhood. That was the only, place, like, it was a $5
1: can of PBR, but it was still the cheapest beer in the neighborhood. I have got to take you to the silver platter in Koreatown where it's just a front for prostitution and drugs, but every drink is $3 and there's no music because the Mm -hmm. only music comes from a jukebox that the bartender forgets to put on.
0: Cool. There was a restaurant in that Thai patio plaza called Crispy Pork Gang, where uh, if you paid in cash, everything was 50% off. So that was definitely a money laundering place. And it it was delicious. (laughs) It was incredible. Also, uh, if I'm back in that neighborhood with you, uh, and I need to go to Zanko Chicken, I miss my weird yes. ar- Armenian fast food. God, All right, I love that. we're going a little too All off right. the rails. Richard, you'll be back soon. We'll talk about the last six issues of Hush. Um, thank you so much for listening. Please follow Richard. Please follow uh, Shortbox Summary at purplebird616 on Twitter. Look forward to to the next episode. You can pre-order the next episode right now just by going on and subscribing to that podcast feed on your podcast service of choice. Thank you so much. And we'll be back in your ear holes real wicked soon.